see earthquakes and lightning. I see bad times today. Episode 60 of Not Another Teen Wolf podcast, celebrating the finale, final episode of season three uh, of Teen Wolf, episode 24, The Divine Move. We're done. The season's over. We can all go home now. So, yay, or (laughs) boo, or something. Like, I don't know. Anyway, first up, we want to introduce the winner of our listener contest which we conducted got you guys to apply and then made you guys anonymously vote on who whose submission you like the best and we are pleased to announce them that the winner is madison oquin who is is that right yeah you got it right i'm so happy (laughs) (laughs) cool um we madison oquin who is from new orleans and you may know her on Twitter or Tumblr as Taco Posey or The Taco Posey on Twitter. So, <laughs> hello. Thank you for being able to come on and join us. Oh, my gosh. I'm so honored to be here. I absolutely <laughs> love the podcast. <laughs> uh, that's good. I was like, I'm, I'm just waiting to make an idiot out of myself because I love y'all's podcasts. And I'm like, when I saw the contest, I was like, there's no way I'm cool enough for this. I feel oh. but somehow. <laughs> I think you've put us on too high of a pedestal. Yeah, we're really not very cool. Um, and I always feel embarrassed. I always feel really embarrassed. For someone who runs a blog about Derek Hale's dead family, though. Oh, well, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. Um, now, do you run the I'm Derek Hale and my family is dead blog? I do. That's very important to me. I did not know that. <laughs> if we knew that, we might have had to disqualify you from the competition purely for being like too awesome and popular. So no. it's a good thing that the, it's a good thing that the voting was anonymous. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, that's awesome. another thing. That, there's another reason you may know Madison. And I mean, I'm no, it's incredible. I mean, I think that one of the reasons that Madison won from the voters is because her application was quite funny compared to the others. And that's that's not to say that everyone's, like, analysis wasn't really good and important because we know that Teen Wolf gives us a lot of feels. But I was uh, reading Madison's application and one, one line, I just, I couldn't, couldn't continue, where, you know, she said she decided to... Um, analyze a different scene she chose to to skip out over anything soaked in angst uh open brackets my apologies to Derek Hale hope the dead family feels less dead today man keep on keeping and I was just like I'm sorry but I just straight away I was like yeah I think this girl's gonna win because I think that line is just gonna be like like people are going to uh vote immediately but uh yes we are very pleased that you you're you know you're here with and everyone's applications were very good and very Oh my emotional. gosh, they were fabulous. And important, but apparently at the end of the day, <laughs> Snark won out, which is 
Something I'm quite pleased about, honestly. (laughs) But, yeah, so Madison's here, which is cool. And uh, if you entered, and especially if you're one of the finalists, please don't delete us from your memory or anything like that because we will be doing more guest hosts. And I think even last time, this isn't like a promise or anything, but like the last time we had like a listener host, I think we ended up also doing a couple of people from that competition as guest hosts later in the season. So... Mm-hmm. If we know you're really good, we're probably going to keep you in mind if you actually do have interest in coming on again, because we're going to have hiatus and we're going to be bored. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so Karen is obviously also here with Madison and I today. Karen, do you have anything to say to Madison? Would you two like to chat? <laughs> we were actually chatting before the show, and yeah, I'm just, I'm really happy, happy that she won. I think, obviously, we all thought that your application was a really good one, and I mean, we had tons of really good ones, actually, and I think all the finalists were amazing, but yours was definitely one of the first ones that stuck out to us, so really happy that everybody else saw that, too, and that you ended up winning. Oh, I'm so touched. Oh, my God. <laughs> Thank you for understanding, like, my crazy ramblings and passion for this show. You are welcome. You are in the right place. <laughs> so we'll uh, go straight in, I guess, to the the actual episode of The Divine Move. And the quote section to start off with, I'm going to start off because the thing that actually stuck out the most to me, I mean, this episode was, like, crazy, and then in the last, like, five minutes I went, like, even more crazy and stuff. But immediately, opening scene, I was so shocked because I didn't expect it to be what it was. So the quote I picked was basically Chris saying to Scott, it's what we do, after he was explaining to Scott, uh, you know, how to cover up the the death of Alison and Scott kind of saying, how are you doing this? Because I, you couldn't have paid me a million dollars to predict that being the opening of Chris talking to Scott like that like but it makes perfect sense it makes complete sense I I totally get it now that I've seen it but I just in a million years I would have never thought it I like last episode I was like how do they how do they explain this and I'm like but of course they have contingency plans for the death of hunters I just never would have expected it especially like Alice especially seeing Chris do it about his own daughter so that scene straight away I was just like whoa okay this is a a big deal (laughs) Yeah, I kept thinking really about bad. it, too, about just, like, in terms of Chris and Scott's relationship, and if you think back to, like, season one and how much, at, like, at odds they were and everything, and now, obviously, they've both grown as people and have really kind of come together, but just seeing him coach Scott through that was really touching, and I definitely teared up quite a bit during that scene. I can't even imagine what Chris was going through trying to compartmentalize all of that and just trying to get through it, you know? Yeah, I was, I mean, the other one that I almost picked was, again, sort of a continuation of that scene where Chris is talking to Isaac and he was all like, you know, it's okay, you don't have to worry about me, I know how to handle this, I know how to compartmentalize my emotions, and Isaac, literally before he even said it, I was like, he's gonna say I don't and then he did and then they cried and hugged and that was that was 
Uh, yeah, that was very upsetting to me. <laughs> I wanted to see so much more between like Chris and Isaac, though, because like you have these two people who have lost their families entirely. Yeah. And like you never would have expected them to be put in that situation where they are like the best thing for each other at that moment. Yeah. But it's kind of like everything I wanted from them because it's the father son relationship that Isaac never really got to have, nor did Chris because he never had a son. But it was, like, beautiful and perfect, and I wanted it to continue on. And <laughs> I think they should do a web series of, like, five minutes episodes in between the two seasons if the uh, the news that we got today about Daniel Sharman is true and he will not be returning, you know, he should do some five-minute web series episodes of, like, the Chris and Isaac road trip while they take the Nemeton <laughs> box wherever they're going to take it. They should, like... Just have these little little short episode web series of the Chris and Isaac bromance road trip. Oh, my God. I want them to be, like, drinking tea in Paris at, like, some (laughs) little cafe or something. (laughs) They should go visit Jackson. Oh, God. Yes. All there. Postcards from around the world, Chris and Isaac. (laughs) Our families are still dead, but bonding. Like, you know. Oh, oh, that's so sad. It's terrible. But what are you going to do? But yeah, Karen, did you want to go ahead with your quote? Yeah, mine, I feel like I haven't really had a super funny line in the last few episodes. I've been going for more of the deeper ones. But this one just made me kind of cackle and, like, punch the air because it was awesome. But this was when the Oni were attacking Sheriff Stilinski and all the other cops at the sheriff's station. And... Parrish is trying to shoot them with his his pistol, and then the sheriff comes in with a shotgun, and he's like, you're going to need a bigger gun, and he just cocks it and fires it, and the Oni goes flying backwards, and it was beautiful. It was so bad action movie, Karen. It was. (laughs) Oh my god, no. It was. You like bad action movies. Okay. Do you think That's it was, like, true. a tribute to, like, Lyndon Ashby's, like, past? As- no. Oh, yeah. It was actually a tribute to Jaws. Yeah, I uh, You're going to need well. a bigger boat. Yeah, I did think that as well. But it was, uh, it was, this, the way the scene was done was very, uh. Yeah, like, maybe. And it was, like, funny. I, it was, <laughs> Harris, she tries so hard. He does. <laughs> he really does. <laughs> but we all know Sheriff Stilinski has the biggest gun of all. <laughs> God. Do you want to move on to your quote? (laughs) Of course, why not? (laughs) Uh, The quote I chose was probably like my favorite quote from all season because it was uh, Danny's quote to Ethan as they're sitting on uh, the staircase at the end of the episode. Mm -hmm. And he kind of, Danny kind of reveals that he knew the whole time about werewolves, which everyone in the fandom knew because there's no way. That Danny didn't know. I mean, they talk so loud in the locker rooms. People keep end up ending up dead. Jackson was his best friend. There's no way Jackson didn't somehow, like, share that with him. But just Danny looking at Ethan and just going, dude, it's Beacon Hills. Yeah. It was everything I ever wanted emotionally from Danny. <laughs> it was, like, everything I had been waiting for from Danny's character. Like, I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> And it was just one of those scenes where you just like were you just stood up and you just like fist pumped in the air and you're like, Yeah, Danny. Yeah, 
Oh yeah. I was I was literally jumping around my living room at like eleven o'clock at night. Everybody else was asleep, and I was jumping up <laughs> up and down, clapping because I was so excited. Oh my god. Well, I did not have any uh overdramatic physical displays of emotion, <laughs> but I did I did feel it in my chest. I had like probably the most like gleeful, delighted feeling I've ever had on this show. I mean, should we just get this Danny situation out of the way now, like, and then and discuss it? Because... Sure. I mean, Danny, yeah. You know, do you think this was their original plan from Danny, or do you think they kind of picked up on the fandom's jokes about it, and they were like, that would actually be really good? Because even if they did steal the idea from fandom, I don't care. It works so well, and it's what everyone wanted, and it's just so funny. But do you think that that was kind of always yeah, their Danny plan with Danny? Yeah, I don't think they ever expected Danny to get so big in fandom. Like, yeah. I don't think they they originally created his character with the idea that he's going to know everything, but he was more of just, like, a minor side character for Jackson to play off of. And then the fandom fell in love with him so easily that they're like, crud, now we have to put him in there. Now we have to give him something. Mm. And it was just that emotional payoff for all the fans when he's like, dude, you're a werewolf, of course. Yeah. And now there's so many possibilities open for Danny I mean- to become a main character. I love this idea. I love this idea of the way that he's like, dude, it's Beacon Hills, like, duh. I love the idea of of most of the town knowing and there being mm-hmm. subsects of the town that don't know, like Scott's family or something like that. And when they do find, when those people find out, either because they become a werewolf or like, you know, something, they're like, oh my God, no one knows about this. We have to keep it secret. But like everyone, everyone else sort of, who just just sitting there being like, yeah, dude, it's a thing. Like, you know, like... <laughs> I don't know how the whole town doesn't know by now, I mean... <laughs> like, they, they think that they're keeping this massive secret, but, like, everyone knows, just no one talks about it. And, like, there should be yeah. a town meeting where everyone's like, so everyone, everyone knows about this, right? And everyone else is like, yeah. And they're like, okay, cool, we can just continue on then. Like, <laughs> so many mass murdering sprees that can happen yeah. before people start to, like, catch on. yeah. Like, I know, like, everything that happened in the hospital, like, the yeah. Oni killed half the people in the hospital. They've got to know something's going on. <laughs> and, um, I mean, I, I like to think it was either, you know, you know, either that Jackson, you know, he kind of knew about Jackson but never said anything, or he overheard their terrible non-whispering and, like, was just like, oh, my God, I roll, they're doing it again. Um, or, well, isn't there? literally a scene in season one where scott scott's afraid that he killed allison in the back of the bus and he's in the middle of the crowded classroom like i did that i killed her <laughs> and no one says anything <laughs> yeah because they probably all know scott's this new werewolf who's like having trouble adjusting and like they're like oh he'll just he'll be okay in his time he'll learn like it's fine like we, we're okay and i i just <laughs> i don't know i just you know, I like the idea that he's, like, just known, like, literally the whole time, like, even since before Jackson, and, like, when all these people come to him all secretively and stuff, he's just like, yeah, like, I'm not gonna, like, spring this on you that I know what you're talking about, but whatever. I mean, <laughs> now that he knows, do you think he's going to be, you know, well, now that he, <laughs> we know he knows, do you think he's gonna be more involved in, like, their friendship group and like you know if, if Ethan is like dude Danny totally knows and Scott and stuff like <laughs> what like I want to see Styles talking to Danny about it and like you yes know, Danny is also a hacker so I saw someone say that maybe he's just been tracking Styles's search history since he first <laughs> <laughs> and um 
And I just love to see Danny just sweeping everyone out of the way with his competence and uh, and basically being like, guys, here's what we're going to do. And uh, it would be good. We can always have hashtag more Danny. But, yeah, yeah. it was – it was a dream. It was I, I don't care if it was pure fan service. It was it was a dream and it did really <laughs> give me a very gleeful, joyful feeling towards the end of the season. So yeah. yay for that, guys. And I'm excited to have uh Kiahu at BiteCon and the other conventions that he's going to be appearing at. So hopefully people will kind of have that as a, a plot point to talk about. We can hear his thoughts on whether Danny always knew or whether he knew that Danny always knew or or whatever. So that will be exciting. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited for more Danny, definitely. And I think that, yeah, like you said, even if it is fan service, who cares? Because it was just so good. <laughs> well, shall we get started on the meat of the episode now? Yes. Okay. Let's do it. Uh, so, yeah, basically we already talked about Chris coaching Scott and and how powerful that was. Uh, the scene after that is when the Yukimuras are talking to Styles and Kira, and they basically tell him he has to make a divine move. And the thing that really stuck out to me in this scene in particular was Styles's attitude and how he was like, well, you know, I'm dying, so maybe that's a good thing. And I know that this season overall, like, one of the themes was suicide and stuff, but... Um, how did you guys feel about Styles sort of giving up in a way and just kind of wanting the whole situation to be over, even if it meant that he had to die? I was kind of, oh, sorry, you go ahead. No, (laughs) you got it, go. I was going to say, I was, I mean, my first thing was kind of, I was surprised to see him sitting with the Yukimuras and that Mrs. Yukimura was like willing to, you know, she was so determined that he was going to die and that he had to die and that even though they were separate, he couldn't be saved and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, yet she's sitting there trying to figure out a way to help him. I was kind of expecting her to, like, poison his tea, like, at some at some point. <laughs> like, you know, here we go, you can die and we'll just put you out of your misery and hopefully that'll take care of the Nagitsune too. Like, I was, I was kind of prepared for something more dramatic there. But Styles is, I don't know, like, he's... He's always been quite cynical, uh, you know, in compared to Scott's, you know, naive optimism. And I don't find it surprising that he would just be like... And I don't think he has a great deal of self-worth either. Like, so I'm not saying, oh, he wants to commit suicide because he's depressed. I just don't think he cares, like, at this point. Like, it didn't really surprise me that at this point he just don't care. So, yeah. Yeah, it was definitely a darker side of styles. I mean, we've always known the snark, the the sarcasm that makes up styles but like there is always that darker I'm not as important I'm the sidekick side and I think he really was just at the point where he's like I'm not ready to let the death continue on I don't want this to affect my dad I don't want this to affect Scott so maybe it's better off if if this thing dies I die with it I think at that point he was just ready to let it all go like he was full-on Elsa and Frozen he was just like let it go man (laughs) let it go (laughs) like and it, it, it was so sad because if you're watching this character that was once so strong just become so so weak and so ready to get out and to find, like, a scapegoat just to get out of there. And you, it was just, like, one of those moments where you just really wanted the sarcastic, oh, we might die, I'm Styles, whatever. You know, that's sarcasm, and it wasn't there. It was this defeated teenager who was just, like, it was horrible. 
I mean, but I think he was just really let, ready to just say it's it's me or it's my friends, and in that choice, Styles would always choose himself. He'd always say, "I'm gonna die, not them. Let them live." And he's not as yeah, he's just not as optimistic to think that there's a way out of it that doesn't involve him dying at this point. And I guess you know, as I said, he's he's no Scott, so yeah. Oh no, he is not that ray of sunshine. <laughs> Then, of course, we have the Chris and Isaac scene, and this just in general, I think we all kind of loved and was really sad about at the same time. But, um, you know, that moment of where Isaac sort of just says, hey, you know, I I can't compartmentalize all of this like you can. And then Chris just goes to hug him again. Chris just being such a great person and really being so different than the person we saw in season one. And I don't think he sees these kids as werewolves anymore. I think he just sees them as kids. And for me, that is something that's really great considering he's Gerard's kid. You know what I mean? Like the family that he grew up in doesn't think like that. And yet he's kind of come to this conclusion on his own by being around these kids all the time. And I just, I'm so excited for season four. I hope he doesn't backtrack at all. I, I really don't think he will, but no. uh, I really want to see how he goes forward in the series. Yeah. I I think that he must come back. Like, I mean, we obviously haven't heard an announcement that he's leaving or anything, but I, I really think there is room for him to be a main player in the next season, even without any family or anything like that so well, he has kate i mean kate Kate's back so <laughs> he has kate and gerard yeah, cool that, i mean <laughs> yeah i mean i'm sure that he's you know he, he's gonna have to kill you know some more family members again that's cool oh, so no. <laughs> yeah that will be good for everyone i suppose <laughs> oh my emotions <laughs> So, speaking of people who have changed quite a bit... Oh, no. <laughs> Derek. <laughs> president of the Scott McCall Club, oh, Derek. Funniest oh, thing I've ever seen. Oh, oh God, no. Okay. I mean, it was very emotional, but it was also, in retrospect, so freaking hilarious. <laughs> like, Let's with the quote, because I really want to say part of his little speech, because I, I do think it was really It'll powerful. Make you feel empowered and stuff, so yes. go ahead. <laughs> he says, Scott's always been about one thing, saving his friends. He will do anything and everything to save the people he cares about. When there's no chance of winning, he keeps fighting. When all hope is lost, he finds another way, and when he's beaten down, he stands up again. You want to find a place in his pack? You want redemption? Find another way to stand and fight. And I think coming from Derek, this is, I mean, he's been sort of heading in this direction for a while, but he's one of those people, too, that kind of always went for the power and he was... I don't want to say he was afraid of a fight, but for a while it was about him surviving and getting the power and being the alpha. And now he's just so comfortable being in Scott's pack and being Scott's beta that it's really nice to see that side of him. When did this happen? I mean, I know that obviously he lost his alpha powers, but did he go off to like South America and do like a spirit quest or something and like take some, <laughs> take some drugs in the forest and come back like this? Because... 
he like it, it we didn't see this develop i mean we know no, that he lost his alpha power but he just came back in 3b and was like this zen scott fanboy and i'm just like i don't understand <laughs> like I, I i understand why it happened or when it happened but like it was it like losing the alpha powers made him like kind of view all scott's past actions in a different way like he you know i feel like he had like some sort of spiritual quest and that he like <laughs> discovered his true purpose. And I don't know. It's really, I mean, did styles come to him in a, in a dream and tell him some things? Because <laughs> it feels like that's going to be a recurring thing. Like spoiler <laughs> alert. Um, I, I think that it might've had to have been because of Cora. And I think him worrying about losing Cora was sort of that point where he was like, Alpha oh, yeah, powers this is what we do. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it put a lot of things in perspective. Plus, he talked to his mom, and his mom told him what the Hail Pack, like, what their purpose in Beacon Hills was, and I think he sort of took that to heart. Yeah, his mom was probably like, look, son, you ain't never going to be a leader. You really suck at it. <laughs> See that boy over yeah, there? Yeah. Trust me, you want to be with that boy over there. He has the right idea. Oh, oh my god. Sorry, my son. I'd I'd probably never put my money on you on winning in a fight. Like, <laughs> yeah, look, ever. He was like he he'd be like, look, you you know, she was like, look, you're you're just my my little baby. You were never meant to be an alpha. You were never in line. You were always that little nerdy kid who sat in his room researching all of this mythology. And look, you know what <laughs> I know. Girl. This was never your position. So stop kidding yourself. <laughs> yeah, I mean. I think we've kind of seen Derek grow. Well, I mean, from season one where Derek saw Scott as this annoying, like, little disrespectful, rebellious youth. And and (laughs) we've seen him grow from that stance to where it's like a stance of respect almost. I think the thing is Derek sees so much of himself in Scott. Because, I mean, dating the Argent and then having the love of his life die in his arms. And I think there's so much of a reflection of Derek and Scott. But Scott's almost the version of Derek that, like, made good choices. (laughs) (laughs) That's so true. But, yeah, and Derek definitely, like, sees Scott as superior to him now. Not just in a, like, alpha biological kind of sense. He definitely sees him as, like, a superior human being or presence or or whatever and he has no respect for the twins like when he talks to them he's just like like disgusted by their existence he's just like guys suck yeah so that was fun so okay i need your opinions on this was deaton actually being helpful in this episode no deaton is never no not at all (laughs) He was just kind of like, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. Yeah, I was like, what do you know, Dayton? Do you ever know anything? Um, No, look, do you, I mean, do you mean, was he being deliberately unhelpful, like sinister? Or do you just mean that he's no. like... Like, I, I feel like this episode, he actually was trying to help and, like, putting forth a fair amount of effort, but... It's, t- I mean, my main thing that I took from that whole Dayton situation, I mean, it's like, the thing is... You have to drag everything out of him. He didn't say, oh, yeah, I once made a box out of the Nematon. Like, he, you have to drag it out of him. Like, he, he doesn't remember all this stuff till you prompt it, or he doesn't want to give the information or something. Do you know what I mean? Like, he doesn't just offer up everything he has, like, on the He's spot. He's so Yoda. He's yeah. Yoda. He speaks in, like, these riddles, and he, like, drags you into these stories when he can just give you the information right up front. Yeah, like... <laughs> 
you know, <laughs> saying, you know, they're saying, well, would something made from the nematon work? He doesn't come up with these theories himself. He's not like, so the nematon trapped the, it, and uh, maybe a powerful object made from the nematon might work. Hey, I made one of those once, and it was for Talia Hale, and blah, blah. But by the way, the way he reacted to, like, you know, them saying, you know, to Lydia saying that she'd seen the box of Talia's claws, and he was like, yes, it was, because I made it. Number one, if you made it, you should have brought it up straight away. But number two, <laughs> the way he was kind of all, like, teary and upset, I think that him and Talia were banging. Like, I have I've, I've, this... <laughs> no, no, I have this theory, right? I have this theory that, obviously, the Hales are, you know, named after Talia, at least Derek and Cora are her children and it's the same last name and we assume that it's not her married name because Peter is also a Hale, etc. So we never hear about the father Hale, which is, is fine. He may have been there in the background or he may not. Or maybe it was just a completely matriarchal society. She was the alpha and that, that they have totally different kind of quote-unquote political correctness or whatever about like about either sexuality or children or whatever. And she just like had sex with whoever she felt like, and she didn't, like, make them be responsible for being, like, the fathers of her children. They just She just happened to get impregnated, and she raised them because she's, like, boss enough to just be their only parent. And not that I think Deaton is, like, Derek's father or anything, but, like, you know, maybe Deucalion's Cora's father. But, like, it sounded like Deaton was, like, one of her, like sex toys or something because he was very yeah, yeah. he was I very see where you're coming he from. was very traumatized by i'm not saying and, and this is the thing i'm not saying this is like oh she was a big slut way i'm saying it in more of like other cultures who like actually like who had like priestesses who it was like an honor to have sex with them in like pagan societies mm. and stuff like that that's the mm. kind of thing i'm talking about and and it would be very opposite to like the american idea of sex or the western idea of sex but i'm talking of, of like a you know, I can imagine, like, a Druid society potentially having that and it being this huge honour or something, like, you know, or even, like, a ritualistic. I don't really want to think that much about werewolf sex, but um, <laughs> but I just, I don't know, Deaton's reaction was very emotional in a, like, oh, yes, my dead girlfriend. I don't know. Am well, I crazy? Maybe, like, no, because in the flashback, um, oh, God, I forget, Visionary, I think it was Visionary was the yeah. flashback episode, when we saw the two of them together, I was totally getting that vibe the entire time. Like, they were definitely, they had eyes for each other, I think. Yeah. So I think that Talia was this holy werewolf priestess goddess that it was an honour to get to have sex with. And then apparently Deaton was her, like, last go before she got all burnt. <laughs> and, uh... Oh, I've, I've, I've seen theories that, like... People were like, well, maybe Talia was, like, wed to someone else or her marriage was chosen and that Deaton was a relationship beforehand. Ooh. And she never got to pursue that relationship with Deaton, even though they both cared for each other like that. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, that would make – it's kind of like this unrequited love story. Oh. But it's still creepy because he's, like, still chilling with your kids. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Yes, I... But there's some more there. There's definitely something more there. Mm. I mean, I just, I can't tell if it's lovey-dovey or, like, brother-sister yeah, love. Yeah, I mean, I can... they would have been a close connection regardless. But it just also made me, because of the, um, I think I was also a bit tied into it because of, uh, Carly and Jennifer Blake, or whatever her name was before she was Jennifer Blake, like, when she was the... Julia. Yeah, Julia, whatever, of Carly's pack. She was the emissary, and they apparently 
I know people really shipped them, but I believe there was interviews where they were kind of like, yeah, that's plausible about them having had a romantic relationship mm-hmm. before then. So I'm like, do all yeah. alphas sleep with their emissaries? Is this like a <laughs> As I said, the druids probably consider it this like massive honour. So there's my theory, basically. <laughs> I can get behind that. Yeah. <laughs> so could I. It makes sense. Yeah. This next scene, I... It was really, really terrible because a lot of people died, but I really liked it. It was when... <laughs> you took uh, a bad moon rising scene. Yes, oh, Void yeah. Style oh, freaks so at cool. the hospital. And that, yeah, the music and the way they kind of slow-moed through that scene was just amazing, but a lot of people died. Like, did you guys see the blood splatter <laughs> all across the walls? Well, it, was so, it was horrible. It really reminded me of, like, a Quentin Tarantino film. It really mm. reminded me. I, know, I I think you've seen... Have you seen Kill Bill, Karen? Um, Yes, like a thousand times. Yes, I thought you were a fan of Kill Bill. I mean, did this remind you of any of like the cinematography in those kind of films? Yeah, a little bit. I don't know if I'm thinking of Kill Bill specifically, but there's something about like the just the gratuitousness of it and the music of it really <laughs> reminded me of like a Tarantino style thing. And we know they've done like tributes to various other films and scenes before. And I mean, I don't think this was meant to be a specific copy of, of a certain scene from anything, but it was just a, the feel of it was, was really, yeah. And that song, I mean, yeah, I mean the, the original obviously is a song that's existed for a long time, but I've never heard that cover of the song before. And it's so sinister and, oh, it was, it was really, I think, I even made a comment about it. I was like, the cover, I mean, I love Creedence Clearwater Revival. Oh my gosh, the original. I've been waiting for them to use Bad Moon Rising somewhere in single. (laughs) But the cover was like, I made a comment last night. It felt like Ron Perlman was like whispering the lyrics in my ear, (laughs) which made it like even more awesome. I was just like, oh my God, this is so cool. And I just, it was perfect. It was like this amazing horror scene. It was kind of everything you wanted and you wouldn't expect to see on MTV if you're just, you know, like scrolling through the channels. And it's one of those scenes that would actually make a viewer stop and like want to stay and be like, oh my god, what's going down? Is this guy really just stabbing people in a hospital? Mm. And you have, like, that one little vigilante hero who goes after him with the tray. (laughs) That poor guy tried so hard. (laughs) (laughs) They all tried so hard, just kept throwing themselves in the way of the knife. Like... <laughs> oh, God. What happens at Beacon Hills Memorial stays at Beacon Hills Memorial. Apparently, I mean, look, I, this is skipping ahead a bit, but are all those people permanently dead? Like, because when the Oni all got slayed at the end of the episode, everyone's wounds seemed to stop being like problematic. But like, if you were already dead, were you already dead, or did everyone just like wake up? I think I'm... you were already dead. Like, if you died then there's no coming back from that. But if you were just injured and you were hanging on that whole time, then I think, like, you were able to to heal, yeah. at least from the poison. Obviously, everybody still had some injuries, but they weren't quite as bad, I don't think. Mm. So how about good old Raph McCall wanting to send an oh. email, a follow-up email when he leaves town? Was he for real oh. or was he being sarcastic? He's, yes. He's no, he was for real. Like, he thought this and was a legitimate thing. Yes, I, yes, I believe in that very strongly. <laughs> and God, like, I'm so just like... distraught over him because I really liked him in this episode. And I 
hate saying that because I think he's such a jerk and he's such an idiot for, you know, like he is not going to be father of the year anytime soon, but obviously he still cares about his son, even though he doesn't know how to be a father. And he obviously really cares about Melissa. And I liked what he did in this episode and I liked how he stayed with Melissa and he was really worried about her and everything, but that is not okay. And it makes me really worried that he thinks sending a follow-up email to his son is okay. Like, what does that mean? What is going on inside of his head? I like her reaction was just like, you're an idiot. Like, she was just yeah. like, she just looks at him like, that's not a thing. Like, yeah. I mean, some people don't, I guess, like, just don't realize that, like, I mean, you can only kind of talk about what would be the, you know, the right experience for you in terms of, like, people make their choices based on what maybe they'd want to happen. But number one, we know he's a wimp because he, like, left because he was so – I mean, he left because he he told was told to get out, but he was ashamed, uh, you know, too ashamed to ever come back and be like, oops. And, I mean, I don't think we're meant to assume that he's never – seen or heard from Scott, just that he's kind of very absent, if you know what I mean. Like, I don't think it's like, this is the first time I've seen you since you were 10, mm-hmm. uh, or the first time I've spoken to you, like, that long lost. I think that he is probably, you know, just a vague, hello, son, like, every, you know, phone call or e- email, probably, like, is he's probably like... Ha- and, you know, he's been used to, like, being so professional for so long with the FBI or whatever it is that he does that he thinks is so important. And, you know, he's probably like, oh, yeah, that's just how people talk, right? Like, that's just what we do. Like, he's not actually used to, no matter how he feels, he's not used to having, like, those kind of relationships. And I'm not saying it's an excuse. It's just he he did legitimately seem to think that that was, like, a fine, appropriate thing that would be, like, considered, you know, positive. And I was like, hmm. You have problems, sir. Yeah, he's got some communication issues, but then again, so does everyone else in this show. (laughs) (laughs) I think, I mean, the thing with him is that he doesn't know how to be a father. And I think if it was purposely him being like, I know that this is not the way that a father acts, but I'm going to act this way anyway, like that's completely different from him being like, wait, what do you mean that, like, sending my kid an email to say goodbye is not a legitimate option here? So I can't necessarily fault him for that, although, like you said, it's not an excuse and it's not a good thing, but I I guess when it comes down to it, I'm just going to be interested to see, because he is going to be in season four, how they're... Yeah, how their relationship is going to progress and if he kind of wakes up and realizes, like, what it takes to be a dad. Mm. Uh, I mean, uh, I don't know if you want to kind of discuss this, uh, you know, more towards the end in terms of uh, Melissa nearly uh, actually dying, like, before that all gets solved. I really liked her saying to him, and it's one of the most honest things I've ever heard, like, this show or any show say in regards to sort of either just people's behavior and like the way people think where he was like she basically said he was kind of like I tried apologizing and she was like he's a teenage boy he doesn't want you to apologize he wants you to do better and she said and he wants you to suffer a little I'm like yeah that is such a true attitude that we're usually too ashamed to kind of put into words about you know we generally people don't go around saying their kind of vindictive feelings because you know we try to consider ourselves good people, but uh, I feel like that's really true that what she said that, you know, 
that in that circumstance the you know the wronged person like Scott would uh would want to basically test and kind of torture the 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 person a bit and make them work harder at it. So I liked that they they kind of mentioned that. Okay, so <laughs> um druid sex is a thing that I just put into Google. Oh, why? <laughs> I would just like to tell you guys that. <laughs> Uh, there is a book called Sexual Practices of the Druids, a Handbook of Magic and Ritual. Told you! Oh, God. <laughs> and apparently, just skimming some of these pages, because this really interests me for some reason, they're talking about exhibitionism and voyeuristic tendencies, and how this is actually kind of interesting in terms of like if you think about Deaton and Talia it says in general terms it should be the earnest intention of all those involved in sex magic practices to avoid emotional involvement so like now my mind is spinning I'm like oh Deaton got attached and yeah oh god I don't know if this show is gonna full-on go into sex magic but I would just (laughs) like to say that I personally got introduced to this concept from reading the da vinci code just so everyone knows i don't look up books about sex magic it's a plot point in the da vinci code which is like one of the most popular books in the world so i didn't google druid sex magic that was (laughs) like i actually yeah i was thinking about the da vinci code too because i remember like in the book and then the scene in the movie Mm. having to do with that but yeah Anyway, so if anybody's writing fic about this, go uh, get that book. I'm sure it'll be helpful. Oh thanks, Karen. <laughs> okay, oh. let's move on. Um, okay, so the Oni attack the cops at the sheriff's station, and that was all awesome. We already talked about how awesome Sheriff Stalinsky is, but what I really want to know is what is going on inside of Parrish's head, because... I assume, anyway, that he is a supernatural creature, but we don't know who he is, what he is, but he obviously saw the Oni, and I don't know, I feel like, I mean, I really don't know what he's thinking, and I want to know really badly. Is it bad that I was just excited that he got to see ninjas? I was like, ooh! (laughs) Like, I feel like even if he isn't supernatural, he's really good cop and like he's like been just trained to kind of take whatever comes and I don't know if that counts to like supernatural uh ninjas appearing from smoke but um I feel like he just handled it like really well I don't know what that means for like his future prospects (laughs) but I don't know I was just excited that he got to see the ninjas I just I like his face (laughs) I'm gonna put that out (laughs) he's really cute (laughs) we're thinking really hard about this Karen sorry (laughs) Like he really works that uniform. <laughs> I would love to see more of him. Okay. Definitely. Karen, do you have any deeper thoughts about this? Because I don't think we're being very helpful. <laughs> no, because I, I mean, I really like looking at him too, not going to lie. Um, I, I have no idea what's going on inside of his head because I feel like he's not shocked by what he's seeing if he is a supernatural creature But even if he is, it doesn't mean that he knows exactly what's going on. So I don't know if he's, like, trying to cover up what he could possibly be or if he maybe realizes now that Sheriff Stalinsky might be aware of supernatural stuff. It's all kind of weird. 
I kind of hope he's a hunter. I kind of hope he has some like crazy backstory where his family is and that maybe he can connect with Chris on that level. Because he really was extremely calm in all these situations. Mm. Like, ninjas just appeared out of, like, nowhere. And he was just like, yeah, I'm ready to fight. Like, <laughs> I kind of, I, I mean, I would have been at that point. I would have been like, I got to pee. I'm going to pee myself. <laughs> like, but he, he was ready to go. <laughs> I mean, some of the other cops in the background were also, like, getting into it as well. Like, and I don't know if it's just that they, like, have faith in, like, Sheriff Stalinsky because he's not, like, running around screaming, being like, ninjas, ninjas! Or if it was, like... <laughs> Maybe it's, like, dude is Beacon Hills. Maybe they're, they're those people that just, like, know about it and, like, you know, they feel sorry for all the little innocent plebes that aren't aware. Like, I don't know. I I know Brooke wants me to talk about this, so... Please, I have this... is this the vampire thing? Yeah. Okay, go on. Go I on. have this weird theory that Parrish is a vampire because he said that his shift wasn't up until dawn, so that means he was there all night when vampires are more active. And also, he was talking very specifically about his age, like, yes, I'm 25. And so it was sort of like those things where maybe he looks younger, but he's kind of throwing his age out there so nobody kind of second guesses him about it. So, I mean, and I've said from the very first episode, I don't want vampires in the show, and I still stand by that, but at the same time, it's kind of interesting. It kind of makes me wonder if they are going to be going in that direction. I mean, I feel like they're not, but I don't know. Yeah. You've got some very nice theories there. We have seen him out in the sun and stuff when he disarmed the bomb. Like, though, you know, he didn't sparkle. So, you know, (laughs) this might be a different vampire legend, you know, about the the sun and, and all of that. But... I'm I'm pretty willing to bet that something is up with his age, like how, oh, yeah. how much he covered up that. They played it very well in that episode with uh, Jared, um, where the bomb was on his lap, and it, it's kind of, it kind of really seemed like he was explaining himself in order to try and calm down Jared and, and not have him freak out more, but like, oh my god, this kid is trying to fix this bomb. Like, it, it could have been just played as that, like, you know, as him reassuring Jared that he knows what he's doing and that he's safe as opposed to you know a child but it did stick out that they kind of managed to shove that in there and it seemed important so yeah Yeah, I mean well let's be real whenever someone new moves to Beacon Hills there's always something wrong with them like (laughs) you don't move to Beacon Hills for the economy or the job availability usually there's something going on no one chooses to move to Beacon Hills People choose to leave Beacon Hills, but no one chooses to move there. I mean, when's the last time we've gotten a new character that didn't end up being horrible or supernatural or have a supernatural family that they didn't know about? I mean, there's there's something up Jeff's sleeve there, and I'm waiting for it patiently. But we know it's there. We know. Like, there's something with Perry. It isn't exactly, uh, I want to say human, but he's just, like, too all-around perfect, everything you'd expect out of a character like him. And I feel like we're going to get some big twist that's going to connect him even more into this story. Maybe he's a superhero. <laughs> like, maybe there are people in this universe who have, like, powers that are more, like, you know, superhero Well, yeah, kind of, like, yes, some other kind of mutation of the human gene that makes them have, like, maybe he can fly and stuff, and, it's, and he's kind of ashamed to tell anyone because it's like, yeah, it makes me look too much like <laughs> actual Superman. 
<laughs> Actually, I'm like a werebird or something. <laughs> <laughs> I did have another theory that he was like Wolverine, and he's just been like fighting in all these wars in the army for like ever, yeah. like since yeah. the Civil War. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think they're going down that line, though. Just to throw that out there. Maybe he's actually just a relative of Michael J. Fox's character in the original Teen Wolf. Oh my god. (laughs) (laughs) The great-great-grandson of the original Scott. (laughs) Oh god. (laughs) Okay, so this is something else that really stuck out to me. The fact that silver is the only thing that can stop the Oni. And I wanted to know what you guys thought about that, because I... I don't know if I'm fully on board with this idea. It seemed really random to me. I think they just want an excuse to actually have a silver bullet be effective, like in the way of the the silver bullet legend with werewolves. Mm-hmm. I think they just wanted to play that legend in in some way, and you know, this was their this was their choice for it, rather than you know werewolves, because we've already seen that that doesn't really do much to werewolves and that, that we have the wolf Spain as their, their poison. So I think they kind of wanted to, to mention that original legend. Also, it's very convenient. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Convenient is the word I'd use. It, it was kind of almost too convenient. Like I was expecting some big kind of unexpected new weapon type thing. And they're like, Oh, it's still yeah. there. Like, why didn't anyone think of that to begin with? <laughs> like, shouldn't that automatically be a weapon you always carry on you? have some kind of silver yeah i mean i think might maybe it's because they got so bogged down in like the the whole silver legend being because of allison's last name like argent mm-hmm. like that the, the, the legend got twisted that even they themselves believed that like doing a silver bullet wasn't that effective mm-hmm. if you know what i mean like they're like oh no 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 the only reason people think it's silver bullets is because like our last name is argent and we hunt the werewolves like we kind of twisted the legend so like they they've gone so far as to dismiss the own that legend themselves because they know that it actually came from their name and didn't consider that actual silver might be actually helpful at some point like that it's more of a symbology thing yeah yeah i think that makes sense too i mean the whole thing I think, as far as I remember, with werewolves and silver was that, like, it was about the purity of the metal and everything like that. So if you apply that idea to these things, which are demons, like, I guess it would make sense that silver would sort of take them out. Mm. I mean, did we not see Styles kill one of the Oni just by crushing uh, the Firefly in it? Yes, we did. Why didn't they just bash some chests open then, like? Well, that's what my first thought was when Allison shot that Oni, was that she got him right in the chest, right where the Firefly was. And I was like, oh, now they're going to know how to defeat it. Because prior to that, like, the Nagitsune was really the only one that knew how to do it. And then it turned out to be this whole silver thing. And I think that's part of the reason why it feels so random to me, too. Yeah. I mean, I think they wanted to have a nice way to play in their silver arrow story and like Allison to be saving people even after death and stuff like I think it all fits together well the only part of it that doesn't is like an explanation as to why silver is the thing that kills the Oni the answer is because they say so basically (laughs) (laughs) and you know the bandaged man comes back in this episode and he was (laughs) super creepy can I just say when they walked into that like 
Narnia. I, oh my god, it was so Narnia. <laughs> I was like, I was, I'm rarely speechless, but I when they pushed open those, I like, I was not expecting that. Like, I was just like, whoa, like, and it was so pretty, and yeah, I don't know, it was... <laughs> I was literally waiting for Mr. Tumnus to appear. I was yeah. like, I, I thought Styles would make some snark about like, what, why are you exactly. trapping us in this Narnia place? Because they tend to like classic references with their with their snark. So, yeah. yeah. Actually, it's funny. I wasn't even thinking of Narnia. I was thinking of Kill Bill, which seems appropriate because mm. they had this like showdown scene where it was snowing and and they were out there and everything and. Uh, it gave me a very Kill Bill vibe, which I think was really appropriate for this episode in general. The uh, the other thing I wanted to say is this about Narnia was the s- Kill Bill slash Narnia was the set of the Snow Garden was the same set as Chris's original Nagitsune, uh, where they you know Deaton went to drug the wolf and stuff. And do you think that that was meant to be on purpose, or do you think that was just like, oh, we need to reuse this Japanese garden set? Like, because was that that Nogitsune wasn't the same Nogitsune as this this one, right? I mean, oh, um, do you know what I mean? Like, that. was it like I mean, yeah. kind yeah. of slightly? Was I not meant to recognize that it was the same place, or was it? No, I, I think you were. Yeah, the I mean, between the fountain and the doors, they were definitely both the same. I think that they used it on purpose. Um. As, and because I think that whole thing is like that whole story right there is all kind of centered around that garden. I mean, everything sort of came from there. As far as if those Nagitsunes are the same, I don't remember if we were told exactly if they were or not. But the thing well, is, the Nagitsune died over that fountain, and from the fountain, that's where the moss came from. And then the moss was. Like that bred the the new Nagitsune or something like that. I mean, they that the, the original Nagitsune happened, you know, in 1943 and was allegedly right. stuck in the jar until 2012. Whereas Chris's Nagitsune would have been about, you know, True. 30 years ago. But so I was just confused as to whether it was meant to be like whether you're meant to recognize it or whether it was just like, oh, we just better use this Japanese garden set that we've got and cover it with snow and hope no one recognizes it. Um, not that it's a problem either way. Like, it was it was super pretty, but I was just confused yeah. whether we were meant to be thinking more. But, I mean, did you kind of straight up think it was a, a fantasy? Like, were you like, why is the bandage man here? Like, then it gets said, nay, he's not still a bandage man. Like, the Oni are in here, but the Oni are out. I was like counting Oni manically, if you know what I mean. Like, I did kind of think that it was an illusion straight away, but I didn't think it was an illusion that was completely fake in that, you know, that they just had to, like, walk through it and it wouldn't be real anymore. Like, did you – what did you think was going on, like, specifically? I – was like, I was like, oh God, they were transported to Japan. How are they going to get home? This makes no sense. <laughs> oh, I'm super confused. No one has passports. <laughs> I know. I was like, God, Tian's going to have to go and get them. And yeah, I, I wasn't expecting it to be an illusion, but I kind of knew that it wasn't real, if that makes sense. Like I figured something else was going on, but yeah, as far as them sort of having to walk the gauntlet to get out of there, I thought that was so great for so many reasons. First of all, because Styles says, dude, trust me, it's not real. 
And Scott's just like, okay. And he just does it. And I mean, that just speaks so much for their relationship. And also just having to go through that, all that pain. I mean, even Kira and everything, and then just busting out of it like that, I think it's just a really cool sort of like, this whole scene was like very aesthetically beautiful. And them having to walk the gauntlet like that and then kind of falling out of the doors at the end was just really powerful, I think. Uh, my question, it, it kind of reminds me, I don't think any of you, I mean, Madison might have, I haven't spoken to her on the subject, it ha- probably haven't read this. There, there will probably be listeners that have. Karen, I've spoken to you before about my favorite childhood fantasy series with the cat that rides on someone's shoulder. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is Tamora Pierce's Song of the Lioness Quartet. And in that concept, basically, it's it's a medieval world and these people are, like, achieving their, like, knighthood and, like, you know, training as, as knights and stuff. But it's also a world where uh, magic exists. It's not fully dependent on magic, just some people happen to have it and there's, and there's magic things in the world. Um, and basically, to pass their knighthood, instead of just being like, okay, you are a knight now, they have to go through basically a, a an experience which is called the ordeal of knighthood which is where they go into this chamber a magical chamber which is basically just an empty completely empty room with magical powers that throws a bunch of stuff at you in terms of like your worst fears or makes you experience them and live through them and then like if you don't like die or freak out like you just but none of it's real if you know what I mean like it's it's you know the only reason that you would die in there is because you had your a kind of brain synapse and couldn't you know or a heart attack or something like it's not it's a magical experience that isn't real and it kind of reminded me a lot of that so except that's not sinister exactly that it's not it's not considered a an evil thing doing that whereas this is I want to know how the Nagitsune kind of set up that room if you know what I mean like he was out sitting on the steps being like oh you brought me presents and Oni were like being sent off to different places like how did he create that illusion like we haven't really seen him create like illusions like that before like it was a bit confusing to me how he set that up and like you know how he made that fantasy exist there or or you know who did he do something to the room or did he do something to the people like planted something in their heads? Like I was very confused as to how it existed basically. I think it was, yeah, I think it was kind of like a hallucination. I mean, he is the trickster spirit. I mean, I think it was just one of his big hallucinations, but he like, he kept it going like what two, two different realities at once. Yeah. It was really cool because you had the reality with Derek fighting and then you had the hallucination with Scott and then fighting, and the fact that he was able to keep both of those going, even though the Oni were being killed off, and they were, like, things were slowly going on in the hallucination version, it was really cool to see, but it was also kind of confusing, too. We don't exactly know what kind of powers the Nagitsune had. Mm. I feel like there was so much more we could have learned about him that yeah. we didn't really get to see, like, to the extent of what he could do, like, just what damage he could do. Because, I mean, he was sending Oni everywhere. They, I mean, there was only a few of them left, but they were hopping from place to place, from hospital to police station to high school. They were, they were everywhere. And he was kind of just, like, jumping everywhere. I mean, he went from the hospital to the high school, so I guess he could teleport. <laughs> I guess it's another thing we didn't know about him, but unless yeah. they just, like, took a minivan from place to place, which would be really cool to see. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, he he tells us in this episode that he's a thousand years old, and I just, I kind of keep that in the back of my mind, and mm-hmm. just think that he has, like, all of these tricks up his sleeve that we probably didn't even see the half of this season. I would have loved to see more of it. I wish it was, like, a 24-episode arc, because I would have definitely loved to see more of Void style. Oh, man. That would have been so intense, though. Like, I almost didn't survive these 12. I <laughs> Well, I mean, we only really had, like, three or four episodes of Void Styles. That's true, when he was, like, really bad. Yeah, and it was still hard to watch. It still felt like a lifetime. <laughs> like, it was yeah. crazy. Like, yeah, like I was saying in the other episode where Stalinsky, Sh- Sheriff Stalinsky kind of sees Styles and hugs him like he hasn't seen his son in, like, five years or something. And it's it's only probably been about, like, three days in their time. But, like, it feels like a long time. So much happened. Yeah. We don't even know what year they're in right now. <laughs> yeah, it it it's insane. Like it's they they always I mean, people complain about the timeline with this show and like how stuff doesn't match up, whatever. But what always impresses me is how the show when it's running, when the the, the show is actually running, it's it literally takes place the whole season will take place over like a few days and you it literally picks up where it leaves off as opposed to like some other show where it's like, Oh, last week we did this and this week we'd like as an episode you know, okay. sort of an episode of the week. It's it's not like, oh, this week this is our adventure of the week and then the next week this is our adventure of the week. Yeah, they actually are really tied in a really short time period, which I find quite interesting. That's possibly their biggest fatal flaw, too. Because when you sit back and you think about all three seasons that have happened and you realize that Scott hasn't even been a werewolf for a year, it's you're kind of just like, oh, crap. <laughs> that's a lot. I mean, that's a lot of stuff for a kid who's been a werewolf since January of 2011, and they haven't even hit December of 2011. Mm. Like, school year-wise, they've only been in school for, like, two semesters. Allison hadn't even been in Beacon Hills for a year. And, like, Scott and Allison's <laughs> epic relationship was, like, really just a two-month-long relationship. Yeah. It, it kind of puts everything into that whole perspective because, yeah, they are teenagers. And, yeah, when you're in high school, things do tend to, you know, be dragged out. Like, a month of high school felt like ten years of high school. Like, I know that countdown to summer when you were like, oh, it's, you know, it's almost May. And it did feel like a lifetime, but it just yeah. kind of big, Teen Wolf's biggest fatal flaw is that their timeline is so it's it's literally just one big bulk of months. We, yeah. I mean, we've seen a few months of summer, but other than that, it's just one big long running month, and it's really awesome because Jeff Davis does pick up with the three days here, three days there, and it's never like a monster of the week or an, it's it's never like the supernatural type thing where it was the monster of the week and they'd go to the next town. And you'd assume it's sometime later. He'd pick up from the day of or from the moment after. And it's really impressive, but it's also, it, it takes a lot. Because that's a lot of episode time filming. And that's a lot of timeline time. So your characters are growing, but the time's not going as fast as the filming time is. Yeah, that's. I suppose that's true. Like, so that, you know, I mean, the general assumption is in the first season, they're about to go back to school in, like, the winter yeah, it's like when, that's how I based it is off the lacrosse seasons. Yeah, because usually starts back up in that January time zone, and then it ends again in that May time zone or May June time zone. Yeah, and, and then starts- after season two, they had that break. Allison's mm-hmm. meant to have been gone for four months or whatever, and they come back at the, at the start of their junior year, so like the September in the start of season three. Sorry, and then now we're still in that semester, I guess. Like. 
about to start lacrosse again, so I think they'll probably next season jump to the next semester. Mm. So the so the second half of their junior year, right? So yeah, they were saying there's uh I believe I read that they're saying there's a two month gap between the end of season three and the beginning of season four. Okay, yeah. that means season three ended like November ish, and they'll start back up in that December or, or not January once again. Mm. So finally hit his full one-year anniversary of being a werewolf. Jesus. (laughs) You kind of blew my mind when you said that because I, I mean, you're right. Like the timelines are so condensed, but it it feels like forever. Like, I guess like the bonds, like the fact that people have like bonds that strong and stuff is kind of. Yeah. It's it's crazy. I mean, met these kids in the, like in the woods, what, (laughs) seven months ago. And now he like totally (laughs) put his phone on for them. Yeah. Oh, Derek. But then again, when you have, you know, things happen on the scale that they are happening, you kind of like those friendships and those bonds happen really quickly. And when it's life or death, like they're solidified, you know? So I think it does make sense. And you were talking about the whole monster of the week thing. And I think that you're right in that this kind of is one of Teen Wolf's weaknesses, but I also think it's one of its strengths because supernatural shows tend to do monster of the week plot lines all the time. And I mean, supernatural has been going on for like 10 seasons and there's still basically doing the same thing over and over again. And I think that's where Teen Wolf is always going to kind of be ahead of the curve and stay really fresh because although they're, timelines are really condensed and jam-packed you kind of have more room to explore specific things and i i really like that idea of it for this show exactly Uh, in regards to the entire narnia slash bandage man scene i'd just like to say a big big thank you to jeff davis for making me google seppuku not that i didn't know it was a thing that existed but to go and read the specifics of it that was definitely something I needed to do at 8 a.m. this morning. So thanks for that, guy. I really, like, that was such a solid. I'm really in your debt for that. Like, yeah, thanks. It was really awesome. Yeah. yeah. Samurai culture's weird, man. Like, oh, they, yeah. Ritualistic suicide is, is not a pleasant thing at the best of times. But it was like they make you eat all your favorite foods and then you compose a death poem before you do it and like yeah it's all very poetic and I'm just like oh far out this is horrible but yeah so that was (laughs) well luckily Styles didn't have to do that and they ended up breaking that illusion and then Void Styles comes in thinking that he's awesome and he's still gonna win everything and then out of nowhere Scott comes back and bites him and basically, Styles says, you can't be a werewolf and a fox. You can't be a, a wolf and a fox, a werewolf and a kitsune. And so he kind of, like, ejects the fly that was inside of him. And then he kind of turns to stone and ash. And basically, Void Styles is dead now. So, yay. Well, I was a little bit confused about this situation. I've got a few questions. I mean, so do we assume that this... The, the bite and the catching the thing in the box, that's why they were getting the box. This was the plan that they were always mm-hmm. going to do the bite and then they just got a little bit waylaid by Narnia. So, like, that was, you know, right. just a, a bit... A, but that being said, if they also said earlier in the episode that, you know, that Void Styles isn't really a person, he just kind of looks like a person and he ended up, like, turning to stone. So, like, 
does the bite even work on him? Like, if he's not a person, like, what was the bite actually doing? Like, it, if it just, you know, if he's not a person and he didn't just fall down dead like Reese did, he actually, like, turned to stone because he was, like, a pure spirit. Uh, then can you make a spirit werewolf? Is that a thing? Because what they did worked. It just didn't quite work for me in terms of, like, matching up with what else they said about what the Nagitsune was, if you know what I mean. Yeah, it was, it was that, weird. Yeah, and I think the thing to remember here is that he was still, like, he still had a human form, but he wasn't Styles, like, he wasn't the real Styles, the real person, but he had a human body, and so that was just kind of, like, the shape that he took, so I think in that term, like, yeah, it does work, him getting the bite and having already been the fox, and now he was the wolf, too, and it kind of, like, was too much juice, and he exploded. <laughs> Jesus. Where are you getting your juice? Nice way of putting it. <laughs> And, uh, I mean, I guess we do have precedent for, like, that, you know, a stab through the heart immediately being able mm-hmm. to kill a werewolf, given that we, ha- mm-hmm. we have seen that before. But good, good times, I guess. And I kind of liked the dramatic music that just, like, stopped when Isaac, like, caught yes. it in the little cage. Like, <laughs> he was just like, here you go. It was cute. <laughs> yeah, I like that a lot, too. And, you know, once he dies once void styles dies everyone kind of heals and i don't know about you guys but i definitely breathed a sigh of relief when mama mccall was okay oh my god yeah i was like i was too worried but i was like "Mm, scott does not need to be left alone with his father Mm. i don't need to make a i'm scott mccall and my family is dead blah oh my god (laughs) that is not something i need to do ever what about, the, I mean, I know that they were obviously close and they kind of raised a child together for a while and he'd been with her through that ordeal with the leg, but, like, the way that she kind of leaned her head into his chest, like, Raph's chest at the end when she was on the gurney, like, do you think that they are still kind of fond of each other and that it was just the alcoholism that came between them and that that was, that was it and now that he's not an alcoholic that they may have a potential of getting back together? I mean, I don't know. There's a lot about him that I don't understand, too. Especially since at the very beginning of, I think it was 3A, he kind of makes that joke towards Styles, like, insinuating that his dad's... I know! It was gross. And like, like was... Is, that, is it just because he's an asshole? Or is that just, like, something he does? Or maybe, I don't know, like, he's better now? But it, it just, there was something there, and I don't know if I trust him entirely especially with the whole, maybe I'll just send an email, like, okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but there's just a lot there that I don't know if they could ever be what they were beforehand, not that we knew them beforehand. Yeah. But See, that's so many the thing. Were made. I'm not entirely sure they were that good to begin with because Scott tells his friends that his mom said the only thing that worked in their marriage was that watch that he gave him. So Uh. I don't think they were like super steady to begin with. I think her sort of like resting her head against him was sort of just like relief. I'm okay. I'm alive. You're okay. You're alive. And, you know, we kind of got through this together. Thanks for sticking with me. That sort of thing. I mean, you can still like care about somebody and not love them, especially if they're the father of your child. So yeah. hopefully it's going to be like more of a platonic thing. I don't yeah. think that she hates him. I think that's been made pretty clear, but I do think that she thinks he's an idiot. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, he is, so we can agree with that. <laughs> now, this next point, 
I have a lot to say about, so I'm going to throw it to you guys first and get your opinions. But basically, the major death that happened in this episode was Aiden. He was killed by an Oni sword as he took out the final Oni with the snapped-off end of the arrow, and he basically died in his twin's arms. So what did you guys think about that? Were you sad about it? Were you relieved? Do you care? Did you cry? I mean, I wasn't necessarily, I think the shock value of the death was definitely taken away since we'd already lost Allison. So it wasn't like that huge, sh- oh my gosh, someone is dead because, I mean, the twins, they're significant, but really were they that significant? But it still hurt because any kind of brothers or siblings having to separate you is You can't kill hurt. a twin, man. You can't kill a twin and not expect it to just like not injure you emotionally. Like you can't be unemotionally compromised by that. But I wasn't necessarily shocked. I was I was surprised to say that's how their exit. We all knew that they had that the um, Carver twins had already said that they weren't going to be returning. So we had all known that they were going to have some kind of exit. I did not think they one of them would die. That was definitely a surprise. But it wasn't necessarily a huge shocker death wise. I just I was glad it wasn't Isaac because <laughs> a lot of signs were pointed towards Isaac, and I was like, we can't lose yes. Allison and Isaac. I was, yeah, bas- I was emotional about it, basically, because I said, as I said, you can't kill one twin. It's like, mm-hmm. if you ask people, like, the, so many people, the majority of people who are Harry Potter fans will say that the worst death in that series was Fred Weasley's, and, like, the way it was written, and just the thought of it, and it's the one that I know, like, at least everyone I know, like, it's the one that they, like, sometimes just sit there and start to cry because they remember it. This is a thing that apparently happens to people, including me and people that I know. So, yeah, <laughs> you can't kill one twin, basically, is is my thing. And I think seeing it filmed, like, imagining the guys having to act that, the fact that they're not just actors, they are really twins, and, like, imagine, you know, and they're pulling, probably pulling that from somewhere really real. I find that very distressing. But, I mean, if they're not coming back, I mean, I suppose it's a good enough way to go. Like, there was this whole conflict the whole season about, you know, Aiden, especially Aiden, not getting it, like, not getting what it was to try and be redeemed. It wasn't just, like, for a selfish reason and all of that kind of thing. And, you know, and apparently he did actually really care about Lydia and all of that. And it kind of did, you know, Derek saying earlier in the season, you know, you're willing to fight for his cause but not die for it or whatever. And, you know, because Aiden was always the kind of slightly harder and harsher of the twins, I feel like, not like his only redemption was death, like, he, he, but I think, I think he had to have a death-related redemption. Like, even if he'd almost died and come back, like, if he'd put himself in to, like, if they'd not wanted to get rid of them and they'd actually wanted to get them in the pack, you know, if he'd put himself in the line of fire and they thought he was going to die and then he managed to kind of heal himself or whatever uh but he thought he was gonna die like it looked like he was sacrificing himself i feel like given everything that was spoken about with the twins uh that sort of self-sacrifice was the only thing that was gonna really truly show their change and you know you could have had both of them die but then you wouldn't have got to have the beautiful horribleness of the killing one twin which is like the worst emotional trauma that something can do usually (laughs) So right. <laughs> I was also um, kind of interested in 
in Derek's reaction, like, he looked really distressed. Like, oh my god, you finally got it. You finally got what all of this is about. Shame you have to be dead. And him <laughs> saying, you know, him saying to, Lid- you know, him saying, oh, Lydia never believed I was one of the good guys anyway. And he's like, she'll believe me. And then earlier in the episode, Derek's like, Lydia would never run and hide. Derek is also a freaking Lydia fanboy, just saying. Like, <laughs> when did he get this tight with Lydia like that like it's it's great like uh, again Derek and the pack in general we haven't actually seen that much of him with them this season like it's been very sporadic but I I live for it I want him to be befooled with all of them I want him and Lydia to like go shopping and I want to know more about him and styles as we're going to talk about in a moment probably but but just like what you know why does he have all of these like strong feelings about Lydia or like so sure that she'll believe Derek. Like, where is the Derek-Lydia bond coming from? I mean, is it just circumstance? Because I was very interested in his Lydia mentions this episode for some reason. Maybe Derek yeah. just stalks them so much that he's created, like, relationships with them through stalking. <laughs> like, he knows them. <laughs> oh, my God. Anyway, yeah, do you want to go on with sense. your twin feelings then, Karen? Well, I mean, basically they're the same as your guys', which I'm really glad to hear because... I know a lot of people aren't on board with the twins because of what they did, especially to Boyd. And I totally get that. I've understood that from the beginning. They were never my favorite either. I mean, I always liked Ethan a lot more, and I think he had more of a redemptive quality. But that being said, I cried so hard during the scene, and I watched the episode three times, and I cried every single time. And I didn't cry this hard for Allison. And I think that's because I knew pretty much that Allison was going to die. Like, it was still shocking how it happened, but I would have been really surprised if she survived the the season. And although I had a feeling that the twins were going to go too, I thought they were, I always thought they were going to go together, that they were just going to stick together and, like, one was going to get injured, the other one was going to try to save them, and he would get injured too, and they would both die together, and that was going to be their redemption. But... Like you said, when you have twins and you kill off one, that is one of the hardest things to do and to sort of watch happen. And I mean, the acting in the scene was incredible. And I think that's why I cried so much. But especially Ethan and Aiden, if you think about it, I mean, they had the ability to become one person. They literally like were that close that they were one person and for Ethan to watch Aiden die and to have him die in his arms I can't even begin to imagine what that must have been like I mean how do you even accept that I would have gone out of my mind but you know Ethan seems to be fairly okay I mean he's running away from Beacon Hills but then again I think half the town should so You know, that does make sense. But I really liked that Aiden was so worried about Lydia and so worried that, you know, she wouldn't think he had become a good guy. And for him to finally prove it in death is tragic. But I think that was really one of the only ways that he was going to be able to do it. And so I loved that line, too, about Derek. (laughs) 
I mean, now that I'm thinking about it, I am like, how does he know all of this? Like, how <laughs> how does he think that Lydia is definitely going to believe him? I mean, it's Derek. I mean, there's no reason but... she wouldn't believe right, the circumstance. Right. But it was just the way he said it, like, oh, I'm tight with Lydia. Don't worry. Yeah, you can take it yeah. from me. Like, I was exactly. like, okay. <laughs> but even above and beyond that, Derek, who, like we said earlier in this episode, has had no patience for the twins. You could see at that moment he was just like... I will make sure that they know you died a good guy. And I mean, it's just, that scene was so emotional. Yeah, and Mm -hmm. it's just, yeah, it just really gets to me, like, thinking of them as actors pulling that from, you know, really dying. And it just, yeah. I was almost expecting Ethan to commit the aforementioned seppuku, like that, oh, he died, now I'm going to have to, or that he would just drop dead, like that their bond was magical and it would literally, Aiden dying would mean Ethan just sort of dropped dead, if you know what I mean. Or that he would just be like, I'm going to, you know, I have to die now too. Uh, but, uh, I mean, I'm kind of glad he, he didn't because we obviously got that Danny scene and everything. But, yeah, it was rather, rather horrible. As I said, yeah, you can't, you can't, kill one twin it is very much the uh the thing uh the the worst thing especially ethan like being able to feel what aiden was going through yeah i mean i also think that was kind of a metaphor in terms of like does it hurt you as much as it hurts me and he was like yes as in in my breaking and saddened heart um Mm -hmm. i didn't even know if he meant that physically or if he meant it like Yes, I am in yeah. pain. Either way, though. Like, yeah. And I kind of did like how Aiden was like, okay, good. <laughs> that was kind of <laughs> funny. But, like, I was laughing amid the, like, tears running down my face, and it was just, it was bad. Mm. And it's, I mean, you also never really, nearly every time you see the twins, they're arguing. Like, you know, they were kind of like, and they, you know, when they were possessed by the Oni, you had all that stuff coming out from Ethan being like, oh, you're holding me back. And and they're always arguing and you never really see them being like there for each other, like, I guess. And it was just kind of nice to see that then, like, you know, the underlying emotion or whatever. But yeah, I've got a feeling we're going to get in trouble if we talk too much about it if being more, like, sad than Allison. <laughs> but, I mean... That, that's t- just me. I mean, that was just because Allison's death didn't really yeah, in, in, surprise me. I mean, in terms of the, like, long running of the show, like, I think Allison's death is more important. Um, oh, yeah, definitely. But, yeah, it was it was very... Yeah, it was very sad in this episode on, you know, for better or worse with the twins. It was it was very sad. And I I really hope there aren't anyone out there who's like, high five, punch the air. Yes, twins are dead. Just kill them. Like, you know, because I think there is. And that's kind of why I wanted to say all of that, because a lot of people just hated them so much. And I totally understand that. But at the same time, like if you look at them with one twin dying in the arms of another and that doesn't make you feel something then I just I don't know that makes no sense to me yeah I mean people say similar things in regards to Peter like Peter just getting killed off and whatever and and I understand why people think he's super creepy and like manipulative and how he's really destroyed a lot of people but like Obviously, in the moment, we're going to talk about Kate returning, as we've mentioned already, and people being like, Peter should be killed by Kate. And I'm like, if I had to draw a scale of people that were evil, 
Kate would be higher on that scale. I don't think Kate is the winner of the Peter and Kate situation. Peter is <laughs> completely screwed up and really messed up, but it kind of comes from extreme emotional trauma of being burnt alive and his brain possibly coming back wrong. I'm not saying that he's, like, not a bad guy, but Kate was way worse in terms of her motivation and, like, what her personality and what her heart was like, if you know what I mean. Like, her, you know, she was, uh, like, I can understand someone like Lydia wanting to have, like, revenge. Like, if we're going to make Peter fully evil and, like, you know, Lydia or Styles or even Derek, you know, kind of taking down Peter if he does turn out to be fully evil. But people who are like, yeah, Kate can take out Peter and Kate can be good. I'm like, no, Kate was evil. Maybe she's not anymore, but she was more evil than Peter. Peter was kind of screwed up uh, and did a lot of bad things, but it seemed like it was because his brain was completely addled. I mean, that being said, we still don't know about teen Peter and what the hell was his deal. Maybe he is way more evil than we think he is. But my impression was that both Kate and Gerard are probably the two worst, black and white, worst motivation, worst attitude uh, most cold-blooded, most manipulative people on the show. Like, I don't know if I'm alone in that, but they are definitely my worst for the show. Well, ha- have you seen the theories going around about Kate and Peter's relationship? What? That like, they think that, like, uh, Malia is possibly Kate's uh, child. No. Like, the child of Kate and Peter. And that Talia erasing that memory is Kate's whole reason for actually taking down the Hale family. Oh my god, that would be insane. And I'm like, that would give her so much amazing motive. Like, that would explain so much rather than her just wanting to destroy them just to destroy them. It would make it even creepier that she seduced teen Derek. She seduced Derek, but actually got with Peter, which would make Derek, I mean, would make Peter kind of still a bad guy. Yeah. But I mean, it would make so much sense if they just erased all, if Talia had just erased all those memories. Ugh. Yeah. Like, and it's kind of a terrible thing for, I mean, Malia's kind of screwed, huh? I mean, I mean both no. your parents, if Kate is her parent, she's, I mean, God, she's got two horrible parents. The Malia situation is interesting because that's one of the things we see in the ending montage, basically. There's the kind of montage after the twins die and everyone is kind of like for example like Nishiko she's alive apparently still without even though all the Oni are dead so I guess she didn't just drop dead because of all her tails being broken maybe she's not supernatural anymore but she didn't like start aging crazily to 900 you know we don't really know what her deal is and then you have the like the Scott and Melissa crying scene which is all very uh, sad but also appropriate because I think as we've talked about quite a few times it's always been really good to see kind of Scott reduced to being like a little boy who thinks his mom is like the most powerful person ever, even though he's like this alpha werewolf. And we see Chris and Isaac going off on their road trip with the Triscolet box and, you know, web series. Let's, let's have that. But then, you know, the scene where the dialogue actually starts back up in that montage is Kira and Lydia at the school and Kira's being like, I don't know how long I should give it to talk to them. And I'm like, you know, like Lydia was Alison's best friend. Like she's part of the group too. I don't know why you're saying this to Lydia and not to like. Exactly. Like, I was a bit confused by that, but they see Malia coming back to the school and Malia um, as the, you know, new student with coach, which was hilarious and cute and whatever. And her and Lydia have this kind of sexy smile at each other, which is, is fun and strange, but 
you know, and then later in that montage, like after a couple of other scenes, um, we also see Malia getting taught by Scott to like open her claws. And that scene was literally the first scene that I've ever actually liked Malia in that she's like, oh my God, I'm so sorry mm-hmm. about like almost stabbing Styles in the face. <laughs> is this it? Like, so Malia's not evil, like nothing at Iken House was a dream. Like it was all just, this is just what's happening now. Like, are we, are we okay with this Malia situation? Like what's going on? Anyone got an explanation for what, what the deal is here? Explanation? We don't know enough about her to say anything. Yeah. I mean, first of all, she is going to be a season four regular. And I I mean, that does make sense considering that she is apparently definitely Peter's daughter and that I think she's going to be playing a bigger role here. But right now, I still don't completely trust her. I mean, they've mentioned multiple times that the coyote is a trickster as well. And I think that Maybe she's not evil like we thought she was, but I also think that maybe her moral, like, line is a little bit thinner than everybody else's, and she kind of hops from side to side. So I I kind of see her getting into trouble and maybe questioning authority and, and kind of causing a little bit of chaos for everybody, but... I guess she's not evil, and it'll be interesting to see because we do know that Peter is going to try to manipulate her and kind of use that situation uh, for his own gain, how that maybe affects her and if she comes out of that, you know, for better or for worse. I'm very confused by her. Like, I really am. Like, I feel like there's so much that we talked about, like, with her, you know, like her with morel and taking that like how much does she know and like Mm -hmm. i don't know i just felt like something more was going on there and and i also felt like that the malia being peter's child thing was also like not necessarily the end of that story like maybe it was actually secretly someone else i don't know if she i as i said that last scene was the first time i've ever liked her so so Mm -hmm. i could probably get behind this but i feel like i'd have to watch season three again and kind of uh, you know, settle myself into the idea of what she is because I think I was taking it the wrong way. I'd be interested to see if she ended up being like what you said about her having like a different moral line of questioning authority. I wouldn't even particularly need to have it taken that far. I wouldn't mind if she was like an Anya in Buffy style person who, because she hasn't like talked to people for like 10 years, not that they're showing her as like super behind or anything, but that she's like, Sherlockian style sociopathic in terms of like bluntness and like do you know what I mean like in like one Mm -hmm. of those like people who Mm -hmm. isn't quite doesn't really read societal rules as as well as other people in terms of subtlety or like you know not saying what they think or, or or being blunt without the intention to hurt someone but not realizing it sounds rude or something like that like you you see that a lot with male characters and I find that it's something I find really annoying because it's something you see a lot with male characters, like, say, Sheldon on The Big Bang Theory. Um, exactly. You know, you see it on, like, um, you know, Sherlock, and you see it in, you know, oh, there's there's heaps of characters that have that kind of thing that are male, and, and those characters are really always really popular and people always really love them. You very rarely see it with a female because when it's with a female, they just call her a bitch. And so, like, I would like to see an, a, 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 a character that had the same – kind of like even with Big Bang Theory exactly you have the other girl you know Amy who is Sheldon's girlfriend who is but she's not like that she's not 
sociopathic in the same way that he is and i say sociopathic in a loose term i don't mean like a literal sociopath like who goes out killing people you know i say it in the the sherlockian high functioning sociopath way (laughs) you don't see it with women and it is not a trope that at least in american uh, or television or like western television i think there's a few european shows that have characters like that actually but uh i've never seen a show in english speaking world that has a character that's like that Anya would be the closest one. Anya from Buffy would be the closest one because she was literally not a human and doesn't understand those rules. And I think that that would be a really interesting situation for Malia to have because she's been a coyote in the wolf for 10 years or whatever. So it's interesting to me that that's something that's never seen in women characters and and why that is, like why that's not something people find appealing, maybe because women are viewing the men doing that and find that kind of interesting, but men viewing women, not that it should be written that way, but the idea that a women, you know, character is written to be appealing to men and that men would never find that appealing or something. I don't, you know, know how to analyze these kind of things, but there are never female characters like that. And it seems like it's something that would fit for her given her circumstances. But a coyote is also very, like, manipulative, and if she is really a coyote at heart or whatever, then she might know really well how to be manipulative and sneaky or fit in or whatever. So, I don't know. I'm just talking crap now. So, yeah, (laughs) feel free to stop me. (laughs) I mean, I just – I really want to know how she got herself out of Echo House. I mean, that was the only thing. She just walks out, like, totally looking – gorgeous with like eyebrow game totally amazing (laughs) like mascara and I'm like you've just been in a mental institution and you look fabulous like I need to know what her game is there's something there that we're just not seeing yet I hope it's nothing bad I hope maybe she's just like a new character that we're gonna get introduced to like maybe maybe we'll actually see more of her dad like the crazy obsessed guy but yeah. I don't know how she got herself out of a mental aside. I don't know how she just signed herself out and walked away with a smile and a book bag. Like <laughs> no one was even there to pick her up. And I mean, she walked home. <laughs> that circumstance when they were first searching. I mean, I guess it didn't really come up when they were searching for the, you know, the car or the, and they thought she was dead or whatever. But it was mm-hmm. never mentioned that she was adopted. Like, not that it's relevant. I guess, but it was, you know, not that it was relevant to that story, but it was never mentioned that she was adopted and her father was obviously very happy to have her back. So we haven't seen any even mention of that, like, weird dad with all of the weaponry. Like, you know, not in Eichenhaus, like, not at any time. We haven't had anything. But, I mean, I have hope for Malia. I I don't know if it's going to cause, like, Lydia-styles tensions. Like, she comes in and is like, ha-ha, I slept with him. And Lydia's kind of realises at that moment that she... Even though she never actively pursued Styles, she kind of doesn't want anyone else to have him or if it'll just be, like, not addressed or, like, if it... Because they said that season four is going to be having some very human problems in the pack and I don't know what that's meant to meant to mean, but, yeah. Would you see her and Styles as, like, a long-running pairing? I don't... Mm. I mean, I hate to see her. Everyone, like, automatically assume because... The Teen Wolf Twitter did do that. Let's put Malia against Lydia in the fight for Styles' heart. I hate to see her just be a love interest. I don't want her to be a love interest. Lydia in no way should anyway be considered just a love interest. Mm. I kind of want Styles just to have a season to himself where he goes to therapy, you know, watches the Avengers again, chills out <laughs> on the couch, you know, adopts a dog. 
people stop. <laughs> like, we don't need romance right now. We need healing is way more. Like, I hope they don't push the relationship with Scott and Kira. I hope Scott gets his time to mourn. I hope everything happens, like, in sequence. I hope we actually get to see some of the mourning. I mean, but I really hope Malia doesn't become just a love interest character. Because mm. she has so much potential to be a strong character. And, I mean... She was really adorable in that last scene with Scott and Styles, you know, like test like testing out her abilities. And I want to see more of that, like Scott training someone entirely new with the werewolf, the being the alpha he's meant to be. And it's absolutely incredible. But on the other hand, I feel like they keep pushing this constant need for Styles to have a relationship or for Lydia to be in a relationship. And I really think it's just kind of problematic towards the show mm. because we don't want to see um, whenever someone gets in a relationship on Teen Wolf, it ends horrifically. Like, <laughs> yeah. like name one happy relationship that's going on right now. <laughs> yeah. There's none. <laughs> we um, I, I mean, we talked about this last week. We were kind of like, um, oh yeah, it's not going to make any sense for there to be romance next season because you've got like everyone's going to be, like, traumatized and, like, any any romances that were starting, like, you know, Scott and Kira, Scott's just like, oh, but well, my actual girlfriend just died, so I feel a bit bad yeah. about that. And then Isaac's like, well, I'm not going to start going out with someone else. And Lydia's like, well, my BFF just died and you, Styles, you know, were, possess- were possessed by someone who tried to, like, kill and molest me. So it's like, oh, we're, we're like, oh, no one's going to have any romance next season. And then this news comes out that's like, oh, yeah, next season we'll have heaps of romance. And we're kind of like... What? Like, huh? How is... Well, I mean, the thing is that they are going to have that two-month jump, so I think that's going to help a lot in sort of not getting over anything, because I think Allison's death is going to affect the entire season, and I'm pretty sure they've said about as much, but I think it's going to allow things to calm down a little bit and just sort of, like, have people realize you know what's important and I mean I love Scott and Kira together and I think that their relationship is one of the strongest ones and although they kind of are gonna have this little bit of a hurdle where yeah like Allison just died it's gonna be kind of weird for the two of them I think they're gonna sort of get through it together and I mean Styles and Malia I'm not really on board with that but I guess it's because I just don't see a whole lot of chemistry between the two of them. It was sort of just like this random thing that happened. But at the same time, I am kind of interested in seeing maybe that grow and have Malia kind of grow with that. And then, I mean, we also found out that Derek's going to have romance and it's not going to be with a sociopath. So maybe Derek will have some happiness. I've seen um I've seen Megan, our uh, resident illustrator, has just put up a a sketch she's done of Derek with Brayden, the you know lackey for hire that Morel sent to save them, like a romantic embrace there. So that could be a cute ship for him, like Derek and and Brayden, like a kind of tough girl who can beat him in fights and stuff. That would be fun. <laughs> um, but I don't know, I. Derek is the one person, honestly, yes, Derek is highly traumatized and should be in some psychotherapy for about four years. And and again, the fact that this timeline is kind of shorter than we think it is, because for us it's been years, but for them it's only been like seven months. Uh, You know, there's that too, so Jennifer wasn't actually all that long ago. But out of all of the kids, 
I feel like he was the one least probably affected in a romantic way by Alison's death. Like, Alison's death mm-hmm. isn't, you know, a hurdle for his romantic life as opposed to it is probably for Scott, Isaac, and Lydia at least, and, and Kira, obviously, if she wants Scott. So Derek is one person I possibly could get behind the romance, uh, but I think Derek needs some serious therapy. However, it does seem like that Styles is his dream therapist because this last scene took me <laughs> – for a loop like I was just like what has what has happened and I had to puzzle it out I had to watch it so many times and I was just like I don't understand what's happening here's what I mean let me say what I kind of saw slash assumed and then you guys tell me if I'm reading this completely wrong because I'm very confused Styles and Derek are in the locker room at school and Derek is kind of telling Styles about this nightmare he had it's all very heightened and like you know, he's saying, oh, so I had this dream, you know, more like a nightmare. And, you know, he's telling this to Styles, like Styles is his BFF or something. I'm like, when did this happen? Okay. And then he was saying it started out with the hunters that caught me and Peter. And first of all, I was like, does Derek think he's been dreaming since the start of the season? But then I, hopefully I've got this right. He means no, that they've, they have reappeared. Those people that originally, originally took him reappeared and came into the loft and said, where's this she-wolf, Laloba, uh, you know, it's it's not Cora, it's, you know, and it ends up being uh, Kate who comes in and sets off all of these, like, smoke bombs and, like, uh, her, turns out to be a, what I assumed is a, another type of canima, which is uh, basically when they were first researching canimas, they kind of came across the original legend, which is a where jaguar from south america which is apparently a real legend and i assume that's what they're throwing back to because kate also super gross way grosser than jackson gonna assume she doesn't turn into a straight werewolf and uh you know she is apparently the canima in its south american jaguar form possibly and uh whereas jackson was some weird snake canima that i don't know he made up himself this really gave me the opinion that the bite or the scratch in this circumstance is something that literally is just a Kickstarter for a supernatural thing. It is not a standard, you are the, like a werewolf, werewolf, standard werewolf is what happens to you if you're like normal and boring. For example, people like, oh, is Malia's mother a were coyote and, and, and her dad is a werewolf if her dad's Peter? I'm like, no. I think her dad is a werewolf, but when she started transforming, she was around coyotes and her spirit kind of, like, that was her experience of, of transforming, if you know what I mean. Like, she started becoming a, a full coyote as, as opposed to just a werewolf. Like, that's the shape her powers took, but it's the same uh, supernatural Kickstarter that she had. Whereas Kate is apparently some sort of blue cat person thing. So Avatar reject. Yeah, very much Avatar reject. But uh, but so she's back, and then Derek is asking Stars, "How do you know if it's a dream? Like it felt like a dream. How do you know if it's a dream?" And Stars is like, "You know, you had more fingers in dream." And apparently, this is like a standard thing for everyone in Beacon Hills because he picks up Stars's hand and he has extra fingers. And then he was like, "Oh, this is the dream. That was real." And he kind of wakes up and he's being stabbed through the chest. I was just very. I had to watch this about four times to understand like when this was taking place, where it was taking place, what the hell was going on. I'm still a bit stuck as to why Styles is 
Derek's dream guru, like how much he thinks about Styles, why Styles is like his spirit guide in his head who he talks to about his nightmare or like his therapist. I'm like, this really implies uh, like an intimacy that I did not think these two characters had, steric or no steric. Like, you know, the, the steric vibe to me was always the antagonism, not the like, we're secretly really emotional best friends, which is what was seeming mm-hmm. like it in the dream. Um, so basically, and then we read something that he's apparently like, like a spoiler for next season that he's apparently like lost and, you know, and they, they go to find him in, in Mexico or something. So he's having this dream conversation with Styles in his head after that entire Kate attack in his apartment happened sometime after that. But I was confused as to how long he thought he'd been dreaming, what the hell was going on. This is, I've been speaking for quite a long time now, so yeah, someone tell me what was going on, because I, that's what I took from it, but again, I still don't really know what's happened. I mean, does Derek often dream about underage boys, or being alone with underage boys in an all-boys locker room? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I was just like, is this really happening? I was like, I, I just... It's very personal, like... It seemed I mean, intimate, and I was like, yeah. not in a sexy way, it just seemed like that's the person you'd have you'd be imagining like talking to about your trauma like really like and I don't know if there's something unspoken there like in terms of like he has I feel like Derek has all of this secret respect for all of the other kids now because of what he was saying about Lydia before and all of that kind of stuff but you know so that wouldn't surprise me that he has this secret like fanboyish respect but doesn't know how to be proper friends with people but mm-hmm. I was so weirded out that, like, it was Styles was his dream Styles, guru. Yeah. We know See, that I think it... some intimate information, too, because Styles knew about Kate. Yeah. And we never understood how Styles knew about Derek and Kate because he brings it up in the, uh, I forget the episode title, the hospital episode where he's like, this isn't the first psychopath oh, yeah. dating. Maybe and Derek was, yeah, yeah, maybe Derek was, Maybe like, there is some kind of confiding going on Maybe there. they are, like, secret email buddies and they, like... Like, behind everyone's back, they, like, have all this, like, they text or something, and, like, and I don't know, like, it's it's kind of weird, but... See, I don't think it's weird at all. I think it makes the most sense, because Styles is the one that had been having difficulties knowing when he was awake or asleep. He's usually the one that does all the research and has a lot of the information, and I guess Derek, you know, could have been thinking about Scott, but to me... It makes way more sense for him to kind of reach out subconsciously, I guess, to Styles and have him sort of be like, how do you tell when you're awake or asleep? I mean, because Styles has gone through that. I get that. The thing is, a lot of people are saying that, and I understand, like, why we would know that Styles would know about that. But Derek wasn't around for that. Derek wasn't in town when that was happening. He was being strung up on a wall. Uh, and and again, it's it's more just the implication that, he knows what Styles does with his time or like that he is the research guy or because, or that he is the, you know, guy who had the dream problems because yes, for all that he is involved in pack stuff now, I guess um, Derek did come back to the pack relatively late in the season and didn't particularly know what was going on. And I, you know, unless he's got secret video cameras or like he lurks in the corners, he doesn't, I wouldn't even have put solid store in him knowing that Styles is the research guy because he doesn't he seemed to have really underestimated Styles up until the point that you know he became the Nagitsune as well like he seemed to have really thought that he was uh you know just 
stupid annoying kid that just got himself stuck in stupid situations he really never seemed to consider styles as like worth much and yes they'd been in these life or death situations together but Derek himself he he would just more go and meet up with Scott and have his little talks like he was never really involved in like pack research time so uh, I know why we would think styles would be appropriate there but but I just don't I didn't think Derek knew styles that well if that makes sense and yeah I think that maybe mm-hmm. things just kind of happen like off screen which I've kind of come to the conclusion to for several different <laughs> things throughout this because it's like they obviously didn't say it to each other on screen so we kind of just have to assume that like people sit down and get caught up every once in a while I mean I'm wondering if you know, number one, the idea of like Derek and Styles having these like conversations about dreams and stuff off screen is something that some people are probably going to be annoyed that they didn't get to see. But the other thing is, I'm wondering if Styles maybe really is there, like, like that if this is in the future, if Derek is being kidnapped and is currently dreaming or passed out or something, that basically that maybe the pack have found him. And they've been like, right, Styles needs to go into his head and bring him out of it because Styles knows the most about it. Like that it was actually, I don't know, like Scott getting Styles in there or something with the claws. I, I don't know how this will work. Like, I, I don't know if this is Derek's own fantasy or whether it's like them, because they know they can go into people's heads now, them sort of taking advantage of this werewolf technology. Mm-hmm. <sighs> werewolf technology. <laughs> it just, uh, it certainly raised a lot of questions and eyebrows and, High-pitched yeah. squeals. I was just like, is this really <laughs> I happening? Think, I think, I mean, the thing that really stuck out to me was just, I mean, obviously Kate coming back, but this whole idea of her being La Loba, yet she's blue and, like, obviously not a werewolf, or she's, like, a different, like, I don't know, strain of werewolf or something. I mean, La Loba means she-wolf, so it kind of doesn't make sense that she would be something else, but at the same time, very clearly, she is something else. And I am kind of on board with the whole, like, where jaguar thing. I think that, you know, given the connections to South America and everything, that does make a lot of sense. But that was definitely quite the cliffhanger, and I cannot wait to find out what exactly is going on with her. Maybe La Loba is, like, a title she gave herself because she's a wanker. Um, like... <laughs> just saying um <laughs> sorry um but like you know maybe she's like oh you know she goes around as this like vigilante like supernatural bitch basically so um I don't know I mean the where do you remember that being mentioned in season two like the where jaguars I didn't make that up yeah. like that was their original yeah. research for the canima and uh, you know obviously the canima ended up being that lizard thing and the canima was also not in control of himself it wasn't like a werewolf where he knew what he was doing it was like when he was the canima he was the canima and when he was a werewolf he was a werewolf so you know when he was jackson he was jackson like it was you know his his brain wasn't in control of him when he was the canima so i i mean i, I don't know if this is like a a Canima style thing, but all I'm saying is that Kate Argent, no matter like what kind of bite she got or scratch she got, like her heart ain't pure enough to just be a standard werewolf. Like if Jackson became a Canima because he had some issues, Kate has more issues than anyone. So yeah, I'm not surprised she's something weird, but yes. <laughs> I mean, 
Kate aside, because, yeah, I totally agree with you. She is crazy. But I'm just really excited to have Jill Wagner back on the show. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm really excited to see where they're going to go with Kate's character. I mean, they've said that they, you know, have wanted to do it for ages. I just read a thing with Jeff and he said, oh, yeah, we wanted to do it for ages and, you know, bring her back. And that must be really annoying for the actress to know, like, I don't know if it's annoying because I think she had another job. He was like, oh, we couldn't do it because she was committed to another show. But like, They kept renewing Wipeout so uh, she couldn't come back. <laughs> but, like, you know, so, okay, so you're killed off now, but we want wipe to. Out. <laughs> we, uh, we, you know, you're killed off now, and, you know, we, we possibly should have seen it coming given that she had hosted the whole season of Wolf Watch and that she'd been a part of the Team Wolf team again. But imagine that. Imagine like being an actress, being like, okay, so you're getting killed off at the first season, and then at some point we want to bring you back. So find another job until then. But we're going to bring you back later. Like, it would be kind of um, – I, I have no idea what the circumstance actually was, of course. But um, I don't know. I would just be, like, waiting on tenterhooks to be like, oh, is this going to be a thing? So, yeah. And it makes me wonder who else he, they might have in mind that could re- return at some time that has always been planned to return. Mm-hmm. I mean, they can't pull re- Resurrection too many times, but... No. But I think, like, hers actually does make sense, especially since we saw Brayden come back earlier from her throat slashing. Like, they kind of have been laying the plot for this, not only, you know, since she died, because Jeff has said that, like, he wanted to make sh- sure her death was sort of vague and how much we saw of, like her bleeding and stuff like that, but also just like Brayden coming back and surviving her run in with Deucalion. I think she's aware Jaguar slash thing as well. Like (laughs) we didn't see her being anything other than herself when she came and saved them. But if she survived, she was able to get through the mountain ash. Mm. So Mm -hmm. that's a, that's a good question. I mean, didn't they have a funeral for Kate? Like, was did she crawl out of her own grave or something? Like, yeah, well, what's in the casket? We don't know. Yeah. Unless she <laughs> did have like a cool video, and Allison saw her crawling up in the hallucination. Maybe it was real. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> because Allison definitely did see that, didn't she? Yeah. <laughs> Dude, so maybe that was like a real thing. Yeah, no, <laughs> that's. I would pay that. I would totally buy that. Oh. Evil people. Yes, I would totally. That makes complete sense. Yeah. Um, so okay, wrapping up this part as the season three finale. What did you guys think of this episode? Do you think it was a good send off for season three, or do you wish you had seen more? As I said, the Malia thing kind of rubbed me the wrong way in terms of I was really expecting something different, and it felt like she was sinister, and then she was barely there. It confused me. So th- there was that. I mean, you've got these points here that you want to want to talk about, um, which is the unanswered questions. But, but yeah, I mean, Malia was kind of strange. If I went back and watched it right now, I'd like the whole season. I'd probably be like, they didn't answer this or this or, or this is all very confusing. But as an episode, like watching it, like just from week to week, it it felt pretty good. Like I felt okay about the deaths and I felt like I, I really liked the kind of ending montage of various emotions and uh, they, they went out on that very gleeful note with Danny and like you know I, I don't know I I did I, I liked it as a finale the the just walking the divine move the thing that was the divine move of them just getting through that hallucination seemed a little bit understated in terms of like like it didn't seem like all encompassing of everything it seemed like 
it just seemed like one circumstance that they got through rather than the be-all and end-all circumstance. But I kind of liked how this episode felt, but there are definitely unanswered questions that I don't know if will ever be answered and I don't know if we were reading too much into at the time. I also would have liked to see more of uh, the the flashback time because I liked that Reese dude and I feel super bad for him. (laughs) Madison, what did you think of the episode? Yeah. I felt all like it was a strong episode. It was definitely a very strong episode. Um, I think Jeff Davis has some big shoes to fill now that we don't have Allison next season. Mm. I mean, we I'm, all I'm asking from him is to give us some more strong female characters. I love Lydia. I definitely want to see more of Lydia. And I know next season's supposed to be a big season for Lydia. And I love that he left this episode so open with where's Kira going to go? Where's Malia going to go? And, you know, like, what are we going to see? How are these kids going to move on from this huge tragedy? And I honestly hope he works with that and doesn't lead us down another. Jeff, he has this problem where he gives us a storyline that lasts for two episodes. Like the hallucination storyline. We thought it was going to be a huge arc this season. Mm -hmm. But it really just encompassed the first three episodes. Derek's, the big search for Derek next season, I feel like might be another hallucination type thing to where it's like three episodes and they find him and then goes into a completely different storyline. Yeah. And I really hope he works more with that and that we get to see more of the pack finally working together, which we got to see towards the end of this season. But I really hope they all become that pack that we've been waiting to form because I don't know if Derek's ever actually officially said that he recognizes Scott as his alpha. I don't know if that's ever actually been stated. Well, like they have so another we, ceremony where you're yeah, like... Yeah, <laughs> we, I mean, we, we, we feel it, but I don't know if it's a real thing that we're we're just reading into it. I but wanna, I'd love to see more of that, like, that that pack dynamic. I want, like, a pack meeting of, like, everyone who is in the pack to, like, be sitting yes, in the same room need, and awkwardly having, like, you know, someone awkwardly offering around drinks and being, like, so... You guys haven't Ooh. met officially. Fanfiction <laughs> like, <laughs> covers it a lot. I yeah, mean, it's so much in fanfiction, yeah. They never actually had one, except for there kind of was a pack meeting in the library, or were they in a class, like in a, a vacant classroom where it was like Derek and Allison staring each other down? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's, that's like the only clip I've ever gotten to actually having the pack get around for pack purposes and talk about the pack itself. <laughs> But I hope we get more of that next season. And I hope maybe Malia will become a strong character and that maybe she does have a purpose of being in the pack and that she doesn't just kind of betray us and rip our hearts out. Because I don't know if I can take much more of that. And yeah, I mean, I hope I hope the whole thing with Kate is going to be amazing. I mean, it's got to be. There's got to be. Jeff's obviously been planning this with Kate for quite a while. I mean, unless it was just a last-minute thing he decided, but I think it's going to be a bigger storyline there, and I think we're going to get to see a lot of maybe the motive behind what Kate did, which is what I'm hoping, that we get to learn more about the Hail Fire, Mm. because that's one big mystery, because we don't exactly have times or dates or anything, and I'd love to learn more behind that, and hopefully he's setting us up for that. If not, I'll cry, but I cry anyway at this show. So. <laughs> I wonder what yeah. Gerard will think of Blueface Kate. Oh, I wonder what Kate Gerard, knowing that Gerard was going to willingly take the bite and become a monster. Ew. I think, yeah, this episode, my opinion on it is pretty much the same as yours. And just that it was a strong episode. It was really good, and it 
it left me on a happy note. And I think, yeah, Danny had a lot to do with that. But I think the, the ending surprise with Kate was really good, too. And I feel like there are a lot of unanswered questions, which I think we're actually going to tackle on our next episode, which we'll tell you guys about in a little bit here. But you know, that that happens, and hopefully they'll be able to kind of wrap up some more of those loose threads during season four, because this whole season was really intense, and to kind of have everything fixed up with a bow in this finale, I don't think would have been really realistic, and they did pretty good with what they had, but I hope they realize, too, that there are a lot of things that need more explanation, so I don't know. We'll just have to see, but... You know, let's end with the feedback. We've got a couple pieces of feedback here. And the first one is from Bo Hawkins on Tumblr. And they said, So excited to hear your post on the finale. I've been reflecting a bit on the season as a whole, which I loved, and realizing one thing sticks out to me. One thing sticks out at me as a missed opportunity. At the end of 3A, Scott, Allison, and Styles opened a door. My issue is that we never really saw them close it. Obviously, Styles wasn't supposed to have, but what about Scott and Allison? The Malia arc was about them coping with their side effects, not curing them. Are Styles and Scott still vulnerable? I wrote a long post about this on my Tumblr, and frankly, I don't see the lack of clarity over when and how exactly Scott and Allison managed to close their doors as a creative choice. I think it's more of a structural shortcoming of the season. The Nagitsune was the best villain the show has ever had, and 3B was very very strong, but I do feel like that initial setup really got away from the writers. I'd love to hear your thoughts, and as always, thanks. Uh, yeah, I actually feel a lot of the same way, and I think, um, Madison, you're right in that that whole thing with them having the hallucinations kind of went away after those first couple of episodes, but going back to what uh, this person says from Tumblr, I don't think that... Maybe the doors are closed, but that whole situation isn't going to be over. I don't think it's ever going to be over because Deaton specifically says that that darkness around their heart is going to be with them forever. So even if it's not as bad as it was right away, I think they're always going to be struggling with these side effects and trying to figure out how to live their lives, having gone through what they did go through. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know either, like... I can accept that. I think more of the problem is that it kind of made you keep questioning, like, oh, is evil stuff coming through their brains, like, constantly? Or is it just a kind of, uh, a different kind of feeling? Like, whether the Nagitsune was even related to, to Styles, like, uh, like to Styles' door being open, like, whether that had to do with how he couldn't read, or whether it was just, or whether they were two things that occurred from the same event of the nematon if you know what i mean like the nigitsune got out and chose styles but it wasn't directly because he had the open door that he ended up learning how to close like if it was just that it was because it wasn't meant to possess kira but then chose styles like it was i'm still a bit confused as to when the nigitsune possessed styles but i don't know about the door thing it just it did seem over quite quickly and I, i don't really really know what i think about that yeah, like the whole sign language, everything that they had incorporated into all the trailers. Yeah. It all just kind of phased out. Yeah. When is a door not a door? When is a jar? It all just slowly phased out. We never got real answers there. Like suddenly Styles was able to read again. 
and stuff like but it's like they overcame it but we never really know if they fully overcame it or if it's always going to be like the Achilles heel if it's always going to be on the back burner if Mm. that panic or something could trigger it we don't know and I'd love to know more about it but it's almost like it became a lesser problem in comparison to this sudden Nagitsune. CMC Bride 799 on Tumblr asks, do you think Jackson told Danny about werewolves and stuff, or is there something going on behind the scenes? I would just like to say that I think it's very possible that Jackson told Danny about werewolves, but I really want it to be that Danny is just super smart and actually listens and kind of figured everything else out on his own. I like to think that Jackson told him and Danny was like, yeah, I already know. Most people yeah. <laughs> already know. It's just you that didn't know kind of thing. Like, like that he kind of already knew and or that he's known his whole life. Like, he's one of the families in Beacon Hills that, like, have been like, yeah, this is what happens here, lol. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. Like, I, I, think, I think if he didn't know anything and Jackson came to him and it was like, oh, my God, this is happening, um, either after he became a werewolf or, or whatever, um, I, I feel like if Jackson knew, he would have probably said, Danny would have said, that as opposed to being like dude to speak in hills, if you know what I mean. Like I, mm-hmm. I don't know, but I think there's a lot of plausible reasons. But my favorite idea is that Danny has known probably even before Scott became a werewolf that werewolves were a thing in Beacon Hills, like that the supernatural existed, and that he was just like mm, shrug. Well, we do have like a lot of there's a lot of plot points where he could have figured it out. I mean, he was editing that video for Jackson, and then he did write the paper on the current. Yeah. So clearly he had some kind of little idea of what was going on there. Something weird was oh, happening. Oh, writing the paper on the currents. How snarky, Danny. How snarky. Yeah. <laughs> he knew, like, and everyone knew he knew. I just think, doesn't his, is it just me or am I remembering it weird? Doesn't his last name actually translate well, to something? they said that. They said yeah. that his last name had something to do with the moon and that was relevant. Like, moon healing or something like that. They've said that ages ago and I'm I'm confused now as to whether we're meant to... You know, whether that's ever going to be a thing, whether he's like a secret druid family or, you know, something as well. If What if he is actually Scott's, if he's Scott's emissary and, you know, because Deaton is sort of adopted God, but, you know, he was actually the Hales emissary. What if the, if Danny is Scott's emissary and he has to have ritualistic sex with him? <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, hey. I just actually, I looked up Danny. I was expecting you to say that. Pardon? I just looked up Danny's last name, actually, and it says it means the night of the full moon in ancient Hawaiian calendar times. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I have heavenly Hawaiian moonlight level. here. Well, um, I, I feel like they have to do something with that, and I feel like they have mentioned it before, but... Yeah, it's definitely I'm a totally possibility. Uh, I, I don't have a reason it. on Tumblr, says, but where's Peter? Oh, I don't know where he was in this last episode. Yeah, he was just, yeah, just... And he's probably, like, on his couch, you know, Netflixing, you know? He's got nothing (laughs) better to do. He lives in some upscale apartment, I'm sure. Yeah. He's laying low so he doesn't get killed again. Mm. He just doesn't (laughs) have to be involved. He's probably plotting. I mean, he's got, Peter's got some kind of evil backstory that he's planning on working on with this whole, I was always meant to be the alpha. Yeah. So he's somewhere plotting. Maybe he'll include Jack. He's stalking his daughter. Oh, Oh. oh, probably. He's not like, he doesn't still live with Derek, does he? He just kind of shows up there. Yeah. 
there. Didn't he? I think he told Styles he has an apartment downtown. Mm. Yeah, I told him he lived in a cave, and Styles was like, "Really? <laughs> no, I have an apartment." He just—he's always there when you don't want him to be. And every, it seems everyone has a key to Derek's loft. So. <laughs> Derek Why does no- he even have an alarm system? Seriously. Mm. I don't know. I want everyone to live in Derek's loft in, like, a big slumber party way. I also want there to be, like, a road trip episode when they go to Mexico to get him. I want, like, half the episode to just be them sitting in the car, like, having arguments or, like, playing games. Like, I just, I need it. Like, I don't care. I'm so game for a road trip. Yeah. Or even if, like, someone wrote a really awesome fan fiction that doesn't doesn't, uh, affect the canon like no matter what ends up happening in the you know like it where it stops right before they find Derek in the episode like we don't see the journey but write me a filler fan fiction of that road trip that they go on to Mexico please that would be cool (laughs) okay so non sequitur question goes to Madison this time all right so this is the question I always use like I mean I I had been asked this question once and it actually made me think for a little while but what is your go-to shower song? What is that song that you pump out in the shower and you just, like, get so into it, seeing into the bar of soap or into the hairbrush <laughs> in the shower? Like, everyone has one, and there's always a go-to shower song, and I want to know what y'all's is. <laughs> I don't – I legitimately don't sing in the shower. However, oh. I si- – no, I don't. But I sing everywhere else, and I realized yesterday I must look like a crazy person because I'm literally the person, like, I walk down the street, like, listening to the, my iPod or, like, the radio on my phone and, like, sing, and I catch myself, like, because I can't hear myself because I've got headphones in, and, and I catch, and I know that I'm singing, like, snippets of the song, like, out loud, and people probably think I'm really weird on the street. So I sing out loud on the street, uh, but not in the, I actually don't sing in the shower, which I guess is, is weird. Some my like one of my favorite songs to sing along to is either if we're talking pop, like probably like Total Eclipse of the Heart by Bonnie Tyler, and if we're talking like Broadway, it would be like One Day More from Les Mis and like over singing myself to do like all the parts of all the characters. I saw, <laughs> I saw a Tumblr post about that recently, like which was like it was like kind of written out like in the just the structure of how it sounds if you are one person trying to sing all of that aloud. And I'm like, oh, God, I feel that, bro. I feel that. But, yeah, in the actual shower, I don't sing. Sorry to disappoint you. Oh, so disappointed. (laughs) (laughs) I do sing in the shower, and I probably shouldn't because I am a terrible singer. Um, But my go-to – see, it changes all the time, but I would say recently – and Natalie's going to be really proud of me for this. Oh, wow. My, my go-to shower oh, song One Direction. is Midnight Memories by One Direction. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> that song is so good, and I just, I love singing it. Oh, my God. There was a day in London where I walked, when I was there last year, where I probably walked around and literally the only song I listened to on repeat was Kiss You by One Direction, like probably like 40 <laughs> times. And I was singing, I was probably, I think I did some tweets being like, yeah, my apologies to the population of South London for uh, being that weird girl on the street, like really enthusiastically singing like random hooks from Kiss You, like, and like gesturing with my hands when I walk along the street. So yeah, I was singing that all aloud all over the, I I should probably take my singing and do it in the shower instead of doing it on the (laughs) street. 
but uh, unfortunately not. But Midnight Memories is a hilarious song, and when it first came out, I got very excited because it had such a random, sassy reference in it in which they go, in the bridge going into the chorus, they say, way too many people in the Addison Lee, and I got really excited because all of these American people were like, not understanding what it was and I'm like no it's a specific hire car company in London it's a ridiculous name drop and you see Addison Lee taxis like all over the UK and I just I for some reason I got very excited by that stupid lyric and I just remember (laughs) I just remember the uh the uh American fandom being like what and like mishearing it in the same way that there's another another song of theirs that has a very stupid lyric that again, the American fandom did not understand for a very long time, where it says, hole in the middle of my heart like a polo, and everyone was like, what does that even mean? What? Uh, But polo mints are a British candy that are like a lifesaver that have a hole in the middle of it, so it was, yeah, too too British to to make a worldwide reference understood, (laughs) I suppose, but I liked them because I knew what they meant, so I felt slightly uh, weirdly... uh, excited by that but uh, <laughs> I'm going to listen out for you singing Midnight Memories in the shower at my oh, God. I'll sit outside the door and be like sing it that's, Karen that's true we are rooming together so <laughs> oh man be afraid what's your go-to shower song Madison oh gosh I mean recently I'm gonna have to go with and I work I work for the for Disney I work at the Disney store so we play <laughs> Frozen on repeat on repeat so <laughs> let it go has definitely been something i have been rocking out to the shower in the shower too oh just like oh my god that's one of those songs you just get into and people ask if you're okay afterwards <laughs> <laughs> like are you do you need me to call somebody but if not that i always got into defying gravity from wicked mm-hmm. that always just how ha- like it, it's always my go-to one because i sing both parts and I sing against myself for yeah, what God. you said before. Broadway is so like, good for that. Like, it's like you end up and you kind of like know where in the sentence that you switch, like, and you like leave one off and pick up the next one. And it's so <laughs> Exactly. Ridiculous. Like, you know your cues. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and you might even like switch voices a little bit, go from like deeper to higher to it's, it's absolutely amazing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, that's totally me with One Day More when I sing it. It's like, yeah, immediate switching parts and it's so, so funny and I love it. <laughs> oh my gosh. Gotta love it. Broadway, always the perfect thing to sing in the shower. <laughs> so, okay. it's us for done for the season. We just, we're done now. We're going home. We'll quit. Goodbye. Farewell. Yeah. No more. Yeah. Uh, no. Karen, why don't you tell us about season four? Okay. Uh, well, season four is coming back June 23rd of this year, which is only a couple of months away. I think a lot of people are pretty surprised that it was that soon. So um, good and bad things. I mean, we always like using the hiatus to sort of recuperate, but, you know, a few weeks into it, we're like, oh, we need Teen Wolf back. So I guess it is it is a pretty good thing. As far as what the podcast is going to be doing for the hiatus, it's pretty much going to be the same as we've done before. Um, What we would like to do is next week we want to have a live show, another Google Hangout with everybody, and we're going to have all five of us girls on the podcast, hopefully. And we're basically just going to talk about our thoughts on season three as a whole 
and kind of try to figure out those questions that we haven't gotten answered, maybe theorize about them, get your guys' feedbacks, you know, just have some fun time. I believe we're also going to be opening our prediction letters, right? Well, yeah, I think so. I mean, we had our our whole issue about whether to do it originally when we said we were doing them. We, we said we were going to do either on a live stream or at the panel at BikeCon. And I can't decide which one would be exposed to more people, if you know what I mean. Like, if it's, like, if more people are going to watch the live stream or if more people are going to see it, uh, our panel at BikeCon. And I think, like, four people will come to the panel at BikeCon. So we could probably do it on the live stream as it's, like, really fresh and, and new. I don't mind. I suppose mm-hmm. it's something we could still talk about it at BikeCon uh, if yeah. it comes up, I just, uh, I don't, I don't mind either way. Like uh, it, it's definitely something we, we could do. And, you know, I mean, is there, if anyone has any ideas of what they'd like us to discuss, like any points they'd like us discuss from season three on the live stream, we can do it, but please keep in mind the live streams get a little bit ridiculous and are not yes. <laughs> necessarily the best for serious discussion, <laughs> but you know, fun um we'll see what we can do yeah we'll we'll try real hard we'll try real hard and the other things that we want to do like usual we want to have our bite-sized episodes if you guys have any ideas for that send them in to us we already have some i have a couple cooking up in my mind right now we're gonna have some guests on so that's gonna be cool she hasn't shared this with me by the way just so you all yes i have you know what i'm talking about at least one of them no i don't Yes, you do. We <laughs> talked about it, and you said that it was a very morbid idea, but you liked it anyway. Okay, I'll uh, I'll have to talk to you about this after. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I'm sure you did. But <laughs> um, and then I think Natalie, you were actually the one that kind of posed the question: if anybody has like specialties, quote unquote, like if yeah. they know something very specific that's related to the show, like we've had people on who knew a lot about like. The druid stuff, not druid sex though. We we haven't gotten there yet. We probably won't go there. <laughs> just just so you know. <laughs> um, let us know. Like send us an email, a tweet, something on Tumblr, um, because we'd like to have you on and sort of do these like mini episodes where we focus yeah. on one specific point of the show. I think that would be really interesting and kind of like get some information out there and and maybe even looking into season four, not just what happened in yeah. season three, but some spoilers we know about season season four and see if we can kind of guess as to what might happen. I mean, I believe they've sort of vaguely mentioned that the berserkers are going to be a part of season four. They've said yes. that, so that's something we could possibly research and do a bit more of an episode about uh, at some point. Like maybe we can find someone who knows stuff about history and uh, and look at that because that was a real, real thing. Uh, both the mm-hmm. – I mean, obviously the, the mythology, but then there was also the actual uh, – people who just wore animal skins and went crazy as opposed to being mythologically transformed and transformed into a bear so we can uh we can have a look at that just you know anything that might have might come up that you know would be would be cool we're also going to launch I think we've mentioned if we haven't I'll mention it now we're going to launch like an Instagram account basically that times up for when we go on our merry travels to BikeCon. I'm pretty sure quite a bit of the hiatus is going to be filled up with like material that we will, as well as the the researched material, but material that we will have from BiteCon because we're going to have a few opportunities to record shows which we won't release all in one day. We'll release them 
you know, and, and if you've got any kind of requests uh, from ByteCon uh, in terms of, you know, if you'd like us to do, you know, a certain type of episode or a live stream, I mean, obviously we're going to have the panel there and we can't live stream the panel, but like we could do like a surprise podcast from our hotel room. We don't know. We don't know what we're going to be doing yet, but I bet that we're going to be sitting around and talking a lot of times and then we can just turn the recording device on whenever we're chatting. So we can have all of this cool behind the scenes content, which I can release a few episodes of over the hiatus as well. So um, yeah, we can also, this is not a promise, but if there is anyone from the cast you would like us to interview, uh specifically we can try and reach out for an interview and if there's just if there's someone in particular that we you'd like more than anyone else we could try going for that person first because we'd always love to try and interview people so we don't uh we don't know we're going to be uh launching something on tumblr where we want to compile basically a file of interview questions for basically if we ever get the chance to interview pretty much anyone or if karen gets to go to more panels at comic con or whatever basically stuff that you want to see asked in interviews that basically is never asked if you know what i mean or stuff that you'd prefer to be asked than what's being asked whether it's like something specific about someone's character or just you know something about something in the past on the show or even like a general random question we want to try and compile a basic set of interview questions that we can have in case anything ever comes our way and that would be from you guys so if that's something you're interested in contributing to, we will be setting that up in the next couple of weeks to just submit questions and we'll keep them on file for like who they're for and if we ever get to see them, basically. Was there anything else, Karen? I mean, ByteCon is obviously coming up. We're going to be there. That's in April. What else? Uh, in terms of over the hiatus? I don't know, just in general before we go for this, you know, end of season three. Um, I don't know. I mean, I haven't really thought too much about what's going on yet, except for BiteCon. I think about BiteCon pretty much every day. Yeah, we're a bit stuck with that at the moment because I think we're yeah. both really excited and stressed. So once we get yeah. past that, we're going to be like, oh, okay, so now we have another two and a half months until the show comes back. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So at the moment, we're kind of stuck. We're kind of like thinking that the hiatus goes for three weeks. The hiatus for us goes from now until BiteCon. And we're like, and then after that ends, we're going to be like, oh right okay now we have to figure out what we're doing so yeah. <laughs> yeah that's kind of where we're at at the moment but yeah Madison how about you what are you going to be doing with your hiatus time <laughs> oh my god I don't even I, I can't even start to think about that I'm just excited for school to be over I'm still in college so I'm looking at my hiatus as finishing school and then maybe if I'm lucky and can save the funds, maybe going to Icon in June, which I'm keeping my fingers crossed for, yeah. because it's going to be Tyler Squared, the convention. Oh, God. Is that the one <laughs> Because in that's a... all I've signed on. Is that the one in Atlanta? <laughs> yeah, that's the one in Atlanta, because I'm Southern, and I can't afford to go all the way to California, Yeah. <laughs> where all the conventions are being held. It kills uh, me. You should host one. In Louisiana, you and Courtney. <laughs> I'm saying, why don't we get the why don't we get the werewolves down to New Orleans, where all of the vampires are located, and just see what happens? <laughs> yeah. Like we could stir some stuff up, especially with the Vampire Diaries people being down here all the time. God, yeah. We could definitely stir some crazy stuff up, and I mean, Dylan should be here again once they start the second Maze Runner filming because he I got right. to work with him in June. Or that was yeah, it was June. I got to work with him. 
oh, for the first maze runner. So they'll probably be back down here. So maybe we can just be like, why don't you just stop by New Orleans an hour out of the way and let's do a convention. Did you say, did you, say you got to work with him? Yeah, I actually got to intern on the set of the Maze Runner for it was only for like two or three days, but I got to work with one of the set design crews, and he was on set those days, so I got to you know kind of stare for a distance until I actually got the nerve to actually talk to him. Oh, cool! No, no, no big deal. <laughs> He's a total sweetheart. He's a total sweetheart. I was probably yeah. a huge nerd, and I literally I was like, Motel California had just happened, mm. so oh, I was geez. like, I'm. I'm so emotionally compromised, I can't even look at you. <laughs> and he apologized for that. He's a sweetheart. And I would love to get to work on the what the Scorch Trials. That would yeah. be incredible. Because he's talented and he's wonderful. And he is a triple threat when it comes to acting, personality, and being absolutely adorable. That's exciting. That reminds me, in the hiatus, another thing we'll probably do is another episode of Side Projects of the cast. Uh... Uh, you know, ones that have already come out, like either recent ones or, you know, older ones that we never, never covered because that went down well last time. So if anyone has any, anything they'd like to kind of put forward for that, like maybe that wasn't on our last review episode, um, if they have a terrible Hecklin movie they want us to watch or if they want us to watch Arrow <laughs> or something, we can, uh, we can definitely probably try and, and make that happen. So, yeah. Beautiful. <laughs> Well, I guess we should go and say thank you to Madison for coming on with us. It's very it has cool. been a pleasure, guys. I absolutely loved it. <laughs> yeah, was it everything you hoped and dreamed? It wasn't too embarrassing? We weren't too stupid? Like, Well, I embarrassed myself too much, I hope. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> that was my biggest fear of me saying something. Well, I say, I mean, if you look at my Tumblr, I say embarrassing things 4,000 times a day. So it shouldn't be that big of a deal, but it was magical. It was absolutely amazing. Well, thank you. It was, yeah, it was, it was very cool. If you'd like to reach Madison about this episode, she's on Tumblr saying embarrassing things, apparently. And she's on Twitter as the Taco Posey. She's, you know, she's around. We'll put her links in there if you want to chat to her about that or about her ridiculous I'm Derek Hale and my family is dead blogs, which I think I cried <laughs> the first time I saw, like, from laughing couldn't handle it but um or about interning on the set of the maze runner which is apparently also incredible um you know i i when's that due to come out is that going to come out in the hiatus in june or is it later than no june, september? it's september mm, well that's unfortunate um <laughs> we'll be more footage from it so the trailers will start getting longer and more extensive mm. so you'll get to see more of that but hopefully dylan will start doing interviews He'll start traveling for interviews for that soon. Yeah, should be, be cool. And yes, so that's that's all all fun fun and good. Hopefully the hiatus won't be too difficult for people uh, to get through. I'm sure that you know we we will we will try to make the separation anxiety with Teen Wolf you know lessen. But it's also very understandable if everyone is very exhausted and wants to never think about Teen Wolf again right now because. <laughs> We have never had a 24-episode season before, so it's been quite a feat. Yes. <laughs> okay, well, on that note, I guess we will say goodbye, and we will see you all, you know, soon, next weekend, I think. We're, we're trying to work out if we want to do – I think it's going to be the following weekend, not in two days from now. We're going to do it 
on maybe the the following Friday or something like that, when everyone's had a bit of a week to breathe and maybe rewatch some stuff and all of that. And you can say if you'd like to come and and join us for a, a live stream celebration of season three, it would be really cool. So yeah, I guess thank you and for sticking with us with season three, if you're still listening and hopefully you'll be with us for season four too. This is our 60th episode, which is exciting. Hopefully by the end of season four, we might have a hundred episodes if we have enough bite sizes. Yeah. (laughs) Karen's nervous now. (laughs) (laughs) Oh God. But yeah. Okay. So does anyone else have anything to say before we, we go? I don't think so. Okay. Stay classy. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, We'll all say bye now and then leave you to get back to your non-Teen Wolf lives. So, yeah. <laughs> Farewell, everyone. Bye. 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 So I can't really make an idiot out of myself. Well, you can. We might just put it, <laughs> might just put it oh. in the papers. <laughs> Fabulous. <laughs> it's usually me. Don't worry. The blue. I don't like. I, I feel less bad making fun of myself than I do of other people. So I usually put my, my own mistakes. That's good to know. What? <laughs> well, just that you like. Yeah, don't purposely. I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to like. Uh, I'm not trying to uh, dominate the blooper section, Karen. I just feel bad <laughs> making fun of other people. <laughs> <laughs>